Good evening, everybody. How are you doing tonight, Mr. Real? How about you, Maven? I'm doing so good. Doing well. Maven, how are you? Hopefully there's no echo. echo no echo. 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 <laughs> the uh, chat will tell us. I sure. say let him go. I always thought it was, you know, I grew up watching Lassie and Flipper. And it was yeah. really the same show, just different animal species, you know? Oh, yeah. And Gentle Ben. Don't forget Gentle Ben. I don't remember Gentle Ben. Gentle Ben and Flipper were both Ivan Tor's productions, along with Doc Tari. I don't know what Doc Tari is. It's uh, Swahili Whatever for Doctor. Doc Tari. What was the TV TV show? So you've never heard of Judy the Chimp? No. So so there's not only Lassie the Collie and Flipper the Dolphin. Yeah, but Lassie's not Ivan Tor's. But Judy the Chimp. Well, Judy the Chimp is on Doc Tari. Is there, does she save the day like Lassie and Flipper? No, but she saves the day like um, Moroni's monkey in a box. So she does. That's why picture actually coming out of the box and saving Moroni is Judy the Chimp from Doc Tari. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. So, all right, I'm going to move on. Clarence the Crosshide <laughs> Lion. None of this is ringing a bell. No, I, I grew up in the 80s, and this Mm-mm. sounds like maybe something before that. Like the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I grew up with like Knight Rider and uh, Greatest American Hero. Believe you were deprived. We understand. I'm walking on air, flying as high as can be. Yeah. Anyway, so there's that. William Katz. William Katz, you nailed it, my friend. He's also in Carrie, as you remember. I don't, but your Carrie was the Sissy car. Spacek and John Travolta. Piper Laurie. Crazy. The car this is all off the cuff. It by the way. we've lost whatever meager audience that may have been here at the beginning of the show it's still growing although maybe slowly (laughs) all right so folks we are here tonight with our third anniversary special we're going to review the last 12 months we're going to talk about some other things that have been going on uh for the year uh i think we'll have at some point show some numbers in terms of how well the show is done in terms of its youtube channel And we want to encourage a lot of participation from you, the viewer. And so as the show, did I do something wrong? No, it's just these thoughts that come to my mind. And I'm not interrupting you as you go. You talk about the numbers, you know, the numbers that you're going to be going over. That's the uh, the Mormon stories segment of the show. Yeah, no, no. I promise I won't spend very long on it. So um, (laughs) that'll be part one and two of Mormon stories. John DeLynn's not watching. (laughs) I don't think he does. (laughs) Okay, so um, he does. He'll show up that? in the comments. Good. He, well, he then, shows up in the comments sometimes. He's in there right now. We'll see. Um, would, for, so viewers, we really would love your participation tonight. Um, Maven, I'm okay if we have the call-in studio sort of open throughout the show. So maybe we should have left that, but I'll let you do that. Um, okay. You're welcome to call into the show. Once Maven signals that she has the call-in studio open, we'll put the banner on the bottom. We'll try to keep kind of three calls in the bank at all times. The vessel with the pestle. Yes. The Folks, banner on the bottom. Yes. So also, if you'll put comments uh, there in the live comment section of the YouTube video, and if we're, because we're all three participating uh, heavily tonight, so we may not see your comments, but if you want to ask us questions about the show in terms of the last year, two, three years, if you want to ask us about uh, anything going forward, if you want to ask anything about any of the three of us that you'd want us to address, we really uh, want to leave this kind of as a show for lots of uh, listener, follower participation, viewer participation. 
Did I hit all the high notes there? Anything you guys can think of? I think so. Basically, this show is about you it is. tonight. Because it was three years ago on a night just like tonight, Mr. Real, that we did the first episode of Mormonism Live. Yeah, episode number one. And we look a little different than then. I think folks are going to see that here pretty quickly when we do the first uh, section here. And right, so and this I'm is just a year ago. We didn't go back to prior years. This is just for this past year. We had to limit it to that. Otherwise, we'd be here until midnight tomorrow. And we have covered year one and two uh, in the past when we've done our sort of uh, anniversary special in, in those. So uh, with I guess without further ado, if we're ready, uh, we'll jump to the segment, Maven, if you want to put it on. Uh, with the intros and we'll come back to this oh yeah 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 so so do i get to talk about this please do okay so i thought it would be fun to go back and look at some of the clips of the intros that bill and i have done over the year maven also shows up in at least one and um, i went back and just took a bunch of the intros the first one is the only one just so you know that's going to play the entirety of the old opening this is all lang syne right now we're going to go back to the old opening and then we'll play the intro there then a few other intros without the opening, so you don't have to sit through the opening every time. And there's a number of them, and this is, I don't know, around 10 minutes, 13 minutes or so. I got it. I got it down you a little bit. did all of this, by the way. I, I picked him out, but she did all the technical stuff to make this run so smoothly. It's going to look like a totally professional production here as soon as Maven hits play. Yeah. I uh, Let me get the right thing up here and unmute that. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. Wait a minute. Hello and good evening, everyone. Wait a minute. I, I've seen that studio before. Where are you, RFM? Well, I rearranged my studio in order to completely mimic John DeLynn's studio because I'm so impressed. <laughs> That'll really show him <laughs> With his background and, you know, the bookshelf and the little orange lava light that's going on and even the little gremlin that's sneaking up behind me right now. No, I have, through the graciousness of John DeLynn, <laughs> <laughs> okay you better stop yeah there he is you can see him walking away now he's no longer under the desk so hello good evening everyone hey how's it going it's going great i'm sorry did i interrupt you while you were eating something mr real i wasn't eating anything i was just uh, i'll take a sip of my nice sweet tea ah the sweet tea you and Got I look it. like twin brothers today. We do, brothers from another mother. And, I'm and, joining uh, our sister. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Maven, how are you? Woohoo! Hello, yeah. I'm doing well. 
I think um, we're representing something a little different today. Maybe uh, maybe people will notice. I, I doubt anyone guessed that in the chat. I think for you, RFM, you're the one they usually want to guess about. I'm throwing a curveball. Absolutely. We are <laughs> we are speaking with one shirt tonight. And our shirts all say Dartmouth, which I understand is a is a, a college of some sort back east. Yeah, some barely yeah. known university. Yeah, I mean, a couple people have heard of it probably. <laughs> well, this is the first time I've ever worn a shirt advertising somebody else's university other than the one I actually went to. I, I heard a few so-called scholars Same. have gone there. Yes, and they, they it's a pretty they good school good in the library. Yeah. <laughs> They've got some good books there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where's the applause? Where's the applause? Is there no applause tonight? Is there no help for the it widow's was, son? It was playing on my end. I don't know why it wasn't playing for you guys. Well, obviously, they like you better than they like me because I heard nothing. I, I, heard I probably was the only one who heard it. Something uh, I did an episode earlier this week where it played the intro two tracks of it at the same time that sounded really horrible. But uh, Yeah, I heard that. Always say. Boy, that, <laughs> just cut that right off. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, thank you. I have a t-shirt on. Captain America. It's Captain America, absolutely. Look at that. Legendary dad. This was a Christmas gift for my daughter in Utah, who I'm doing a big shout out to right now. Good evening, uh, everyone. Good evening, Ms. Real. How are you? Merry Christmas to you, too. You've got a festive scarf on. Yes. Wearing Piece a jacket, This too. is the chain I forged in life. Link by link and yard by yard. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes, playing the part of Tiny Tim tonight will be Bill Real. <laughs> oh, man, it's just getting good, too. I think you were the only one that looked good in that Dartmouth shirt. Me, because I sucked in that Dartmouth shirt. And maybe because I was laying in a bed. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm full of goodwill and cheer. I love it. Is it cold there? Among other things. <laughs> okay. But uh, it is so cold here. It is bitter cold, and I am sick at heart. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming over like a little bit thinking. of a cold, too. Hope I'm not contagious like, if I sneeze that way. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. Oh, we're going to have to work on this better. Yeah. Yes, Bob Cratchit. I feel like Bob Cratchit. Or as you put it before we went live, Bob Crotchot. <laughs> Oh, boy. Radio Free Mormon, how are you? Bill Real, how are you? I'm so good. Did you have a good Christmas, good New Year? I had a wonderful Christmas and a wonderful New Year, and I'm so excited to be here on the first Mormonism Live episode in 2023. Look at that. Woo! Let's play it again. Yes. Yes. And uh, and no no pun intended, but we're gonna start it off with a bang. Oh my gosh, is it gonna be one of those nights? I worried when you came up with this subject for tonight's show that we were gonna be having double entendres all night long. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a ton. It's gonna be a ton of fun. Whatever, whatever, oh, 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 whatever you just said, it'll be some of that. <laughs> well, it was French. It is the language of love. It is a romantic language. Oh, oh. So there's a, there's a little bit of French accent, but no French words because I don't know them. 
Although I did I take like two years of Spanish. Pepe Le Pew. Yeah, I took two years of Spanish, and I know that the two languages are connected a little bit. But they're both Romance languages. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. Thank you, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. How are you doing, Mr. Real? I am doing so good. I was, uh, you know, I was telling you off the air. I lost my voice a little bit this morning. We'll see how it goes. But so far, it, it cracked a few times. But there it was. Well, um, anyway, my my voice hopefully I know, holds up. This is up. like an episode from the Brady Bunch. Is it? Yes. When it's time to change, you've got to rearrange. We'll call you Peter tonight. Okay. Maybe I'm just experiencing some development here on this side. Uh, you know? I think you are. I think you are. And uh, the title of tonight's show is Bill Real Hits Puberty. I'm just waiting for the other one to drop. I'm going to guess you mean chew. <laughs> All right. So... Um, we can jump into it. If you have any thoughts before we start to show anything else going on, folks, if you're- I seldom have thoughts, but it doesn't stop me from talking. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, this is so exciting tonight. Can I just say how excited I am about tonight's show? Please, by all means. Okay, I think I just did. But just when I think that there's nothing left to learn about Mormonism, you find this incredibly colorful character, which somehow I managed to go to church for 40 years and study like crazy, not necessarily a lazy learner, and yet I'd never heard of this fellow before, but he's an important character in early Mormonism, isn't he? You're muted. You're supposed to unmute me, dang it. I, I tried, you muted yourself, so I can't unmute you when you do it. I can only unmute you when I do it. This is becoming such a running gag now. I think you're muting me on purpose. <laughs> it, I've never done that, <laughs> but I have thought about it. Okay. <laughs> Well, I'm oh, glad I'm not going to put the thought in your ear. Good evening, everybody. How are you doing? I, once again, I couldn't hear you over the loud applause of, of the thousands and thousands of fans, but there's only 100 in here. It wasn't a start. It wasn't as many as usually are here. I understand that there are some that are still over listening to the broadcast at our affiliate, Mormon Stories. Yeah, that, yeah, they must have they must have done an impromptu show here. So yes, well, we're, we're going on as scheduled, regardless, full speed ahead. That's right. Uh, what's new and exciting, my friend? How are you? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. It's rather cold here in the underground bunker today, and so I've got my wool overcoat on over my Ghost Rider T-shirt. Your wool overcoat over your Ghost Rider T-shirt is Ghost Rider DC or Marvel? Oh my gosh, you are so lost. I, it's like I when you got excommunicated, the Holy Ghost completely left you. It it did. If I'm honest, that's exactly what happened. The Holy um, Ghost Rider. Holy Ghost Rider. <laughs> the spirit of vengeance. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. How are you doing? Huh? I can't hear you over all the loud cheering. I know. It's wonderful. I thought you couldn't hear me over the echo. Echo. Could you hear echo. the echo in the opening? Opening? Uh, there it was there because I had a screen share that had sound uh, available. So yes, that's that's a that's what happens when you don't have Maven here running things behind the scenes. Right, Maven, feeling a bit under the weather tonight. So um, we're going to try and muddle through as best we can without her. You've already seen how well that how well that yeah, goes with the, so the opening. Yeah, <laughs> you know that that the echo was endurable until you got to the music, and then it was a cacophony. Yeah. A cacophony. I, it's a big word. I know what it means. It's a big word, but it's, you know, I love big words, you know? Well, good. It's it's not the good. cacophony that carries you off. 
No. Okay. <laughs> any other any other thoughts here as we open? <laughs> Folks, we're grateful to have you with us. Uh, we've been having bigger and bigger numbers uh, in listening to the show live and getting uh, in terms of views to episodes. We really appreciate the new folks who are uh, joining the show and have subscribed to the YouTube channel. Please do that. Uh, just a really quick thing, RFM. Uh, this is Mormonism Live. I think this is one of the, the best programs, certainly under the umbrella, but there's a whole host of programs that we have, a whole kind of array of podcasts. Um, if you're new to the channel, please check out all the, the various shows, figure out which ones are your favorite and uh, figure out when they those episodes are published and tune in. But this is Mormonism Live. We, I think, have the largest viewership under the umbrella. Uh, really, I think, a great program to go in kind of the history and current events of the church. And uh, for folks who are joining brand new, we're really grateful to, to have you with us. Yes, and thank you for that, Bill. That's awesome that you say that. I appreciate that. Uh, and if you start uh, listening to, you know, sampling other podcasts under the umbrella, if you start with Radio Free Mormon, nobody here is going to blame you. Okay? No. Just, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Sweet. Should we stop here? Should we stop here, everybody? Hey, everybody. Good to see you tonight. How are you doing? How are you doing, Mr. Real? You're looking quite dapper. Even if you, yeah, we can do that for a minute. It has been a fun 24 hours. Yeah, can we just stop here for a second, Maven? You are definitely much more cool, calm, or not. I don't think she's here. Maven's on autopilot. There's nothing stopping Maven tonight. Just don't even get in her way. You'll regret it. I'm being very methodical and thought out about what I do, but I definitely am more emotional. And I, I'll just share a little bit here for just a moment, RFM, because we've got a we got an episode that this stuff is gets to me a little bit. And I love the look on your face. This stuff I hadn't noticed. Yeah, yeah. Maven, do you, can we take that off the screen without it messing you up at all? I'm not. Okay, we'll just go ahead and play it to the end. Okay, just freeze it right there. Oh. Is it possible okay, to go back sorry. to the beginning of this? Because I talked over some of my funny lines. Now, <laughs> here, here's the I thing. could see you talking and I couldn't hear, so I, I had the... You the, figured the I was muted. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I expect the audience could hear it. Could you hear it, Bill? Me yeah. talking yeah, over? The audience could hear yeah, you. Yeah, no, me. I had something muted on my end, so uh, where am I going back to? This is the just, first on Mormonism Live. I'm actually interrupting myself. <laughs> Tell me, tell me where I need to go back to, that's, and that's hopefully I can get there. This particular episode's intro, right? This but, particular episode, because this is the one that ends up talking about um, <laughs> Ikre in at bay, right? Yeah. Um, for I don't know what the hell you just said. <laughs> Ikre in at bay. This is part of higher education where you okay. learn foreign languages that <laughs> involve Latin. And pigs. Okay, this is gonna take me a second because it's actually not letting me um oh no rewind it from what I see. Oh, like it's not giving me a line at the bottom. <laughs> it's okay, no, it wasn't that funny it. anyway. I'll have it in just like just a second. But this Here actually, see, the reason I stopped was number one, because I got word that there was a phone call that was waiting, and number two, because this right. last clip actually leads into something we're gonna be talking about. Also, I thought it was getting a bit long without, you know, with just having playing clips from prior episodes. This is the only time we're going to be doing this tonight, by the way. Well, actually, I just lied. Really no, we'll be doing it more that. later on. Just not just not a series. Of, not quite of clips. as long. Did you I want really to take the that. person who's called in, in right now? Yeah, and, and then I, we well, can go I've got to this the video, clip. but uh, yeah, we can take the call. I don't talk I about Ikre in at bay. Okay. Yep. Let me. 
Hopefully you guys can all just hear it through here. So you got that now, Bill. You understood what I was Nobody saying, don't you? Okay. All right, call it. Can you guys hear the caller? I hear you. Bill's nodding. Okay. Hello. Hi. Go ahead. Go ahead. Is this Becky? Yes, it is. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Becky. Go ahead. I I have a question. I I just want to ask about. You know, I listen to a lot of these. I listen to Mormon stories. I listen to um, the Sunstone stuff. You know, uh, the Mormon Brit. I love Becky. That, all of Becky. That. Becky, um, we try not to mention competing podcasts but on I the find show. That, hey, hey, also, Becky, is there any chance to be in the, the background running? Yeah, is is your is it running in the background because we can hear something like talking? Dude. Dude, I'm mentioning it because I'm hoping that you guys are actually committed to something and that it doesn't matter how much money you make. I mean, you what does do matter, Becky? Job, right? If not money, Dude. what? Because it, there's, there's so much with all of you about send us money, send us money, send us money. Hey, Becky, you Becky just do donate it? and hang up now, please. Hey Becky. Even if you didn't get money. <laughs> hey Becky. Hey Becky. Don't start being. Don't don't. Be, hey, hey Becky. Don't be condescending. Becky, are you are you are you willing to listen for just a moment, or I'm, I'm asking. Becky might not have been able to. Hear, I, I'm, I'm totally doing stuff absolutely. on the roadcaster, so it Becky might not have heard the first couple I, times you said her name, Bill. Yeah. So Becky, if we might if, if I chat for just a moment. So Becky, I, Go ahead, I started, my friend. Yeah, yeah. My I started friend. doing podcasting in 2012. And I worked not only my 40 hour full-time job, but I worked another 40 hours a week at least doing Mormon discussion podcast, making nothing for years. And now it's to the point where we've always been transparent and told people up front that. You donating to the podcast helps us, the content creators, be able to take some financial uh, income to be able to produce great content. Radio Free Mormon came onto the program, The Umbrella, when RFM, five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago. And seven years ago, RFM also podcasted for free for several years. We did it as a labor of love because our goal was always to help Mormonism to be honest about its history and about how it hurts others on the margins. But we've gotten big enough, and we've always said the, the goal was to allow these content creators who were putting out quality content to create a successful program and to be able to be paid for it so that they could put more and more time and energy in. So rather than RFM producing an episode once a week or once every other week, He's putting out three episodes a week, and I'm putting out three episodes a week. I, I did three only because originally it was one every three weeks. Yeah. And so we're putting out more content than we ever have because we're able to do this full time. And I think RFM is one of the best in the business, and he's worth every penny that he gets. And it's perfectly normal in a nonprofit to pay people to work. And we're working, and we put in... We both have put in hundreds, if not thousands of hours of unpaid work to create this content as a labor of love. 
And so here we are celebrating our third anniversary and you're calling the show to say like, it's all about money. It wasn't about money. It isn't about money, but the money does allow us to do what we do really damn well. And this goes for all content okay, creation so on YouTube. Do I get to say something? It's, it's normal that you've heard. Can I say something? Uh, actually, I'm, I'm going to let Maven say something. Go ahead, Maven. I, I, I've heard, I, I understand. I've been listening on, to you guys for... Vicky, I'm going to put you on mute for a second. I, I was just adding in here just because there's overlap. And so I'm, I'm hoping to make it a little easier here. But it's normal on, on any creation platform to ask for help and support. So it's not even unusual in the ex-Mormon sphere. It's just this if you are spending time to put a, a product out there, this is one of the few places where it's available for free. And so it's this is something where you can you have to ask for money to come in and we don't require it. So. Uh, you are free to consume all of our content for free all of the time. And if you have the ability to contribute and if you appreciate it and you want to support it, you're welcome to do that. I'm going to unmute you now and then um, you can go ahead and, and respond. Thank you. And I, and I do support it from time to Thank time. You. I do. And I also, you know, I spend, I'm 71 years old. I spend at least 20 hours a week working with the Girl Scouts of the USA. I have a large troop. I work with kids. I understand, and I get nothing for it. Nothing. I've worked for many, like museums. I was a teacher. I get that doing this hard work out there in this society doesn't pay much. And, you know, I, I get it. I understand. And I totally support you. And Becky, My question is this. Go ahead. I don't want you guys to think of each other as competitors. You are all on the same side. So saying that, you know, like, you know, John DeLynn or more the other guys are competing. I think RFM was joking. Too, yeah, it's called humor, kind Becky. Is is a like a group effort. Hey Becky, have you checked out the New Mormon Times program? Let me finish. You got to say, and I. Bill, this is Becky's show. Now shut up and let her talk. I'm sorry, Becky. Uh, Please. It's not Becky's show. I'm just saying. I want to hear from you how dedicated you are. Thank you. I want to know. Okay, Becky, I'm dedicated to getting the show back on track. What do you think about that? Let's do it, man. Thank you for your call, Becky. Thanks, Becky. Appreciate your contributions. Boy, talk about your every party needs a booper. First, RFM, all of us are working together behind the scenes to create a news program where we're all working together. So we all appreciate and respect each other's content. You made a joke. Number two, I get up at 6.30 in the morning. I know you're an early riser, too. I get up early and I put way more hours than 40 into this thing over the course of a week. I work into the evenings. You'll put on an episode and I'll help you in the evening to get it ready to to go out the next day. We're putting a lot of time into this program and the other programs under this umbrella and the joint programs with the other content creators on the Mormon Times. You want to see dedication. uh, You're welcome to come to my house and I'll be up at 630 and you can watch me for a day and see what I do. I think I think we put a lot of time and effort into creating the content we do. And if you go see an episode such as um, the 1826 glass looking trial or the episode on polygamy, 
the research that we spend on those sort of uh, historical examinations or you prepare for an interview, uh, the convert, the things we did with the Derek Corden child, uh, the murder. Trust me when I tell you, Becky, we're, we care about what we're doing and we put the time in. And I think it's perfectly okay that folks get paid to do this. I want to jump in too. I, I think it's great that you were able to start and basically do this for free. Um, I'm in a place right now where I can't and I, I need to be, I don't have enough of either a, a side income or a ginormous bank account to be able to do this just for the passion of it. It is my passion, but um, I also need to provide for myself and pay my bills. And so if it comes between passion and survival, I, I will choose survival. That's that's how it goes. And so I think it's great that Becky volunteers the way she does. I, I would love to do that as well if I had the time and the means and I don't. And I'm really I'm really happy for Becky that she she has the ability to do that. But for some people, the money is what makes the difference between being able to follow a passion or to be able to volunteer for free in the community. Um, that's something that I think is a, a luxury for a lot of people. So anyway, thank you Our, for that. Um, thanks for thanks for getting us to take a phone call early in the show. Really uh, love that. We should probably. Look, I, I can admit when I make a mistake with the best of them. <laughs> Um, let's move on shall we do it and if anybody else calls in and derails the show like becky just did we will hunt you down and kill you we know where you live and i I don't like hanging up on people so um, i love it i do it just you know i I call people up strangers just hang up on try to end it nicely so um, it's very nice you You were very nice (laughs) bill can log in and he can hang up for me if he's uh if you're thinking i'm not doing it um quick enough okay i'm gonna go ahead and see you tonight how are you doing Oh, sorry. <laughs> Let me That's just do okay. It yeah, as quick as we everybody. can get away yeah. from this. Yeah, this please. isn't a All bump right. in the road. This is like what? It's not a pothole. It's like a sinkhole in the yeah. middle of this podcast. All right, let's go then. How are you doing, Mister Real? You're looking quite dapper. RFM. It has been a fun 24 hours. I, uh, I'll just say here at the beginning, you are definitely much more cool calm and collected i promise everybody hey folks i promise everybody i wasn't unhinged last night or this morning uh i'm being very methodical and thought out about what i do but i definitely am more emotional and i i'll just share a little bit here for just a moment rfm because we've got a we got an episode that this stuff is gets to me a little bit i love the look on your face this stuff i hadn't noticed yeah, yeah. By the way, can we talk about important stuff for a second? Please. Did you get a haircut? I did get a haircut. Uh, got it uh, the day after Thrive was over. I hope you didn't um, leave a tip. Uh, well, you know, whatever. Is it too bad? That's, you don't that's like just it. a rude thing to say. That's a Don Rickles kind of thing but, to say. No, I no, actually but, like it. I think you look really kind of posh. Well, thank you, my friend. Um, There's only so the, much I can do with my hair. So believe me, I'm envious. Good. Well, I I like the haircut. My wife likes it a lot, and I've gotten a few compliments, so I like Mo it. Mo says you look like a million bucks. Maven, what are you doing? Are you say, Are you talking? Because I can't hear you. It. Dang it. <laughs> At least you didn't say you're muted, though. <laughs> you no, didn't you just say did. it. Yeah, I said it. So, yeah, no, I um, I just wanted to talk about Thrive real quick before we, we jump in to the Please. meat of the episode. I just wanted to say it was really awesome. I met a lot of you, and I really appreciated everyone who came up to me um, and who started out with, you don't know me, but 
um, because then I didn't have to worry that I was a terrible person uh, for not knowing someone that came up. Although I guess I won't have that for next Thrive. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I just wanted to say that was the best part of it uh, was meeting people. So anyway, uh, that's all that I wanted to come on and say. Thrive was so. a ton of fun. RFM, for anybody who missed your talk, you, I, I, typed, I texted you about halfway through your presentation and I just said, you're effing brilliant. And I said the F word, you know, in the text and you weren't going to see it until later on, but and then your talk got even better. You told this, you started off with a bunch of stand-up witty humor that had the whole room laughing that you were just doing off the cuff. Then you told this really uh, sad but incredibly touching story about uh, having lost a, a pet when you were young. And I couldn't tell where you were going, but I knew that you'd, you'd pull it all back in. And by the end, you, yep. you created uh, a meaning in that story that I think applied to every person in that room uh, and I just thought you were incredible. Like on a one to 10, I literally give that a, like a 13. It was, it was brilliant. Wow. We turned it up to 11. It was great. Arthur, yeah. Thank you, you. You are a good storyteller. So it's not just the information you present on your, um, on your episodes, mm -mm. but it, that kind of, um, it's a craft really. It, it, it is. It, it was marvelous. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's going to love every minute of There wasn't 10 seconds that you weren't being a master performer uh in that and so i really i know i know you don't want to hear that but you really you really were and it was amazing um i'll just say here really quickly about the last 24 hours you know we we played by the rules we played by the rules uh you know two months ago when we played a clip of rick bennett uh program to show what brian hales was saying in that uh episode where we talked about automatic writing and behind the scenes rick was an ass to me in his conversation again I'm, people can say whatever they want but he was he was deeply rude and trying to talk down to me and then you know took our episode down for a bit and then doesn't go through with his end of wanting to actually fight it because i think he knows that we were playing by the rules and that and brings I, us uh, into yeah yeah well real quick people are asking about thrive that that was an old clip so this this isn't about any recent thrive yeah if you join us january the third anniversary episode and we're playing a bunch of our intros with the final intro leading into us talking about 2023 and one of the major stories we did an episode if you want to throw it up on the screen there maven yeah um, now we need, just need rick bennett to call in let's uh let's do it this yep let's do it that way uh is the book of mormon unique we played a few clips of Rick Bennett and Brian Hales having a conversation in an interview from the Gospel Tangents podcast. And Rick was so pissed that we used, I think, three minutes and 17 seconds and two and a half hours of conversation of his show, which, by the way, if you go back and look at that episode, it's got more views than the other ones around it. So I think people went from here to go watch it. Um, but Rick ended up filing a uh, like a copyright claim with YouTube got our show taken down in 2023. We had to kind of sit on it for a couple of weeks, but as we expected, he lost that battle with YouTube, ended up not going through with any sort of legal action because I think he would have, uh, excuse my French, lost his ass doing that. And our episode went back up. And then I don't have the graph here, but the episode very quickly uh, went right back up on an incline. And, and we ended up, I think, with 14,000 views for the episode, something like that. But it was, uh, I think, a really great episode that you prepared. And again, we're going to go through a bunch of stuff tonight. I thought this episode was amazing because what you did, RFM, is you showed that Joseph Smith, the, the apologists always point to how smart, 
how how dumb Joseph Smith is and that he couldn't have done it without God's help. And what Brian Hales does for us in that conversation, and you pointed out very clearly as you uh, describe automatic writing, is that Brian Hales self-admits that there are lots of automatic writers that were really successful, and hence Joseph Smith could be just one more automatic writer who produced the Book of Mormon, and it doesn't need to be some Heavenly Father God-involved process. Yes, this I thought that was a the, Sorry, Maven, go ahead. Uh, sorry, we've got to call it in the queue. Um, I, it's Rick it, Bennett, it's I know related, it. So I think I'll I'll take it actually real quick because that this, they're actually asking about episodes with uh, with drama. So let me go ahead and see if I can get them added in. I think the name was Cameron. Cameron, are you there? Did you, uh, you want to go ahead and ask the question? I don't hear him. I'm not hearing anything either, so... Can you hear me? Yes, I hear now. Okay, yep. Go ahead. All right, thanks for taking my call. You still there? Yep. Go ahead. All right, so so real quick, I uh, left the church back in uh, April of 2022. Um, first started dabbling with the podcast of Mormon Stories. Uh, that was my first my first intro, but recently been getting into Mormonism Live, and just within the last couple of weeks, started going back to the originals. And so I just thought uh, it was fitting for this episode. Uh, curious to hear what are some of your, uh, your all of you guys' kind of your greatest hits that you feel personally um, from the catalog. And maybe as a uh, offshoot of that, um, maybe think of the callers in particular, um, what, what, uh, which ones have the juiciest drama? I have something in store for you. Thank you for that, Cameron. I'll go ahead and drop the call, but uh, I, I think we'll answer. I think we'll have a, a few uh, different drama uh, drama llama trains here um, throughout this. So thank you. Excellent. So um, anything you want to, we got a ton of episodes to sort of run through. Any we do. And this, this is really, really insignificant, I think, because this is a place where the apologists and uh, the critics actually have common ground even though Brian Hales doesn't want it to be, but he has to basically admit it, is that what Joseph Smith did with the Book of Mormon, even if we take it at face value, is not without um, precedent in history, and it's called automatic writing. And there are a number of examples. We went over there, them in the show, and the most impressive, I think, was a lady named Pearl Curran. And uh, it's just absolutely amazing. So if you think that what Joseph Smith did was absolutely um, unique, never before or after not true because people did dictate long complicated novels um and they've done it and they've done it while being observed very much accepted i think in the scientific community it's looked at as somewhat of an abnormality we don't exactly understand how but we do know that it did happen and so if it happened with pearl curan why not with joseph smith is the question yeah and i would i'll suggest uh, folks, go check out the Gospel Tangents podcast. He's putting out, I think, an episode every week. Um, I, I have, I wish Rick Bennett the best of luck and success. Um, but we're going to operate by the rules of fair use. And if you interview somebody that has a something they say that makes for an interesting episode on Mormonism Live, we are going to use your content all day long. We will steal it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we can move on to the next one. But give credit, yeah. And Brian Hales will be coming up too, as well. So sweet. Oh, Brian yeah. Hales, yes. Let's go ahead and put the slideshow back up. We'll go to the, I guess the next uh, 
Desnat. Do you remember? So we brought on a former Desnat to person. I think you arranged this RFM. One of the founding members. Yes. I loaned him one of my Bowie knives so he could pose like that with them crossed. <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the founding members came on, talked about it. Uh, he certainly grown past being a member of Desnat, but he was uh, very happy to talk about how it got started, why it exists, their whole modus operandi. And basically, it's just to try and yank people's chains without really having any substance behind what they say. Yeah, it, it reminds us that all the violence in Mormonism's past still shows up to some degree in the present. Um, Mormonism has a lot of violence in its faith's history, and some folks see that as a way to justify their violent attitudes today. That's true. Or as Bullwinkle used to say, I like violence because they smell so nice. Hey there, rookie. <laughs> eeny beeny chili beeny or eeny meeny chili beeny the spirits are about to speak okay let's do the next one there maven we'll just kind of zip through some of these this was a fun one uh i think i made you blush a couple times in this episode well, i know i'm having to like block off part of my screen here so i can't even see this image that you came up with mr real yeah this was uh and i'm talking about my face <laughs> This was an episode we talked about the church's teachings on sex throughout its history, at times having prophets, seers, and revelators tell the, the membership that they would stay out of the bedroom. You do what you want in there. In other instances, being very adamant about what you do and not do and what you should probably confess to your bishop or stake president. Mm -hmm. um, and so anyway. And no I think that was the show where the intro was about the double entente, where you said we're starting the show off with a bang tonight. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yes. Uh, double on. <laughs> yes. That was the one. Um, I'm clicking them, Maven, but they're not. Moving While you're clicking, can I just bring up the fact that the, in the last months, which definitely qualifies as this year, uh, you'll notice a difference in the entire, uh, the film, the, the quality it's gone up so much in the last few months because of a listener to the show. Who's a benefactor of the show and who has, been so gracious as to supply all of us with much better lighting, much better sound, much better camera equipment. And that's why we look as good as we do now. Yeah. I just reached out to that couple maybe four days ago and thanked them again that it's just making such a huge difference, both with sound and video. Uh, Francis. And they're Gladden. so anonymous. I don't even know who they are. Yeah. I mean, but I, I hope you'll pass along my thanks and hopefully they're watching. Thank you so much. Yeah. Same. It's incredible. Awesome. Francis Gladden Bishop, uh, if you remember RFM, uh, Nephi, one of the Nephite disciples visited him. But as you pointed out, Nephi is one of them that we know for sure wasn't, uh, that did taste of death, didn't go mm -hmm. without tasting death. And it's probably Nephi death. Anderson anyway. So of all the Nephi's, it was that Nephi is the one it couldn't be. Nothing? What? So, Nothing? On the Nephi Anderson joke? I I don't know who Nephi Anderson is. This is Tim Ballard, who has, or Janet Reston, who's now sort of changed the narrative. It wasn't Nephi, ancient Book of Mormon prophet, who was giving oh. her the directions. It was actually Nephi Anderson. That sounds even more ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't the guy in the Book of Mormon uh, who's been dead for let's see, six book, twenty six hundred years. Instead, it's a, it's a, a relative of Tim Ballard who's been dead for a hundred years. Yeah. Like um, he can't really have been dead for that long because he doesn't exist. Because the first part is crazy, but the second idea makes total sense. And he didn't find the kid either. 
No, whoever it is, is not getting good grades on finding children. No. Um, and then you did this episode with Randy Bell on Joseph. This is the one where we have the Dartmouth shirts on because Randy provided the shirts to us so we could wear it all together for his presentation on Joseph Smith's secret education, the Dartmouth connection. And this, by the way, is one of the highest viewed. And like it's in the, like the top 15 episodes we've done in terms of views. I think it's around uh, 22 or 23,000 views that this episode has gotten. And it was quite a buzz when in, after we got done doing this, I I remember watching the numbers and they were much higher than comparative episodes that we had done around it. So great job to Randy Bell. Yes. Fantastic job. Uh, we did one on tithing where we discussed the church's history on how it framed tithing, often in the early history saying that it was on surplus or on interest. And then at some point you can tell the church think knows it can get a lot more money if it does it differently. And it does. Uh, so there was tithing. Um, we did one on the great apostasy coming to an end. Uh, and the discussion from like the Maxwell Institute with their book, Ancient Christians. Uh, and interestingly, the apostasy did not come to an end anymore with the restoration. The apostasy came to an end with the ongoing restoration. Yes, it did. And the Maxwell Institute sort of agreed. They, you know, they fluff it up a little bit, but they agreed that Christ never left the Jewish faith to become the first Christian and organize a church. And they also agree in that book, Ancient Christians, that the great apostasy didn't happen the way James E. Talmadge said it did, and that whatever it was, it was something much less than a great apostasy. It was a so-so apostasy. It was a so-so. Um, I know in the year previous, we did the original Derek mm -hmm. Corbin a homicide yes. investigation that you headed up, and then we finally got information back um, from law enforcement, and so you followed up here with the second part the Derek Corden homicide investigation. And I just want to stop here for a moment. I don't, I don't want to spend a ton of time on a bunch of these, but I think in this one in particular, a, a little kid died and we find out about it because his grandmother is a, a, a I don't want to say general authority. What do they call general or uh, uh, officer? Yeah. General officer. And the way she talked about that, and suddenly people are starting to point out this just seems strange. And somebody found the death, the you know, the accident report or death report. And when we dove into this, I, I have no, I was just talking to um Lauren Matthias, who does the crime podcast. And she I was on the phone with her and and she remembers this story. I really think we did a much better job. Again, we can't go anywhere with it. We're not law enforcement. We're not, we don't have any power that to do that. But I think we took this case so much further than the law enforcement did. I think we pointed out way more major data points and inaccuracies in the investigation, namely you, RFM. And I just want to say kudos to you for all the hard work you put into this case because it would have been just a nothing. Bonnie just talking about her grandson. And now for the rest of time, the Corden family has to deal with the fact that this kid was murdered by someone. And you showed very clearly that uh, something traumatic happened in, I think, in that hotel room. And um, sort of have a hunch of what went on there. 
but I thought you just did incredible work on that case in all three episodes. And I just want to say kudos to you for all the work you put into that one and to try to give on some degree that kid some sort of justice for what happened. I still hope there can be a resolution. Uh, that was something that we had, um, I guess, uh, had been talked about was that it's like between the two parents, maybe it, it, nothing could happen because maybe one or the other couldn't be pinned down on exactly who did it. But um, maybe maybe someday in the future, someone who knows will come forward and say something. So I, I'm still hopeful that it's not completely a dead end. It It might be months, years, or decades later, I, I hope that there is a, an answer. I, I think there can be. Um, at the very least, that family has to sit with the fact that there's a lot of people who know something went on there and they have a hunch of what it was. And um, you don't get to just dismiss it and pretend like everything is hunky-dory. And or then you use it as fodder for various faith-promoting stories in general conference and elsewhere. Yeah, and I don't think she's used that story since, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then you followed it up with the epilogue once we got some final video evidence. Again, we, I think we both. Yeah, there's, I think, at least three episodes. The first one we did was on the, I think it was the CPS or whatever they call it in Florida, report that was available on the internet. And someone uh, had looked that up and it was uh, posted. And we found that inside of it, it also had, um, uh, it had the agency, which was the sheriff's office, Orange County, Florida Sheriff's Office. It also had a case number for the investigation. It was a simple matter to find the address and send them a request for production of anything in the file. They send me hard documents that are in the file. And then we look through that, and it's very obvious from reading the documents. It's one of those situations where the documents you get refer to things that you did not get. And a lot of that was video or audio interviews. So... I had requested it again, and I don't know if I didn't hear anything, so I had to send a letter to the sheriff, or at least a CC to the sheriff and make it really clear that uh, to the, the person who's in charge of the, the documents, the records custodian, that the sheriff is in on this too, so do your job, please. And then they turned it right around, and we got some video of interviews, and we got recording. We got to hear Bonnie Corden's interview. I believe it wasn't video recorded like her son and daughter the parents of Derek Corden but yeah so I believe that was the epilogue but that's why it took several episodes in order to cover it fully yeah and I, I will just note when this was all going on I reached out to the law enforcement emailed their department and simply notified them that we had done our own independent research slash investigation of the story that they could take us seriously or not, but that I think we had done a really good job of pointing out things that they had missed. And I shared all three episodes with them at the completion of this. I don't anticipate they'll do anything with it, but I just want the audience to know that I gave them the opportunity to. Very good. Anyway. I don't know that I knew that, or if I did, I forgot it. Because this was a year I, ago, yeah, we, I, the epilogue basically came out. Yeah. And I think that's a very important thing that we have done here on Mormonism Live in the past year, and I'm glad you're highlighting it. Yeah. Uh, we covered uh, the first vision. We talked about how other folks in Joseph Smith's day also had visionary experiences that were extremely similar to Joseph Smith's first vision. Um, changes to the temple, which was, <clears throat> excuse me, this was sort of a two-part episode. And I, I'm sort of mad at myself for making it a joint episode with you. 
I did the very first part where we t- talked about some changes to the temple uh, in, in terms of they had changed the endowment, removed a little bit more of the sexism. We addressed some of that stuff. And then the majority of the episode was spent with uh, you diving into the Enzyme Peak Advisors and the things that were going on there. The episode I thought was incredible. I just wish it had entirely focused on the Enzyme Peak. Um, but I thought you did a fabulous job covering that uh, story. And of course, this is sort of the precursor uh, to the SEC stuff coming down. And so I thought that episode was was monumental um, as well. Um, you interviewed Dan McClellan. Dan. So Bible studies, Mormon style. And yeah. Uh, by the way, we've got a caller, just so you know, Bill. Yeah. Uh, you probably do know his name's Andrew and Andrew, if you step out of line, just one little bit, we're going to just hang up on you just so you know. Okay. We're not doing a Becky redux here. Let's do Is Andrew there? Bring him on then? Yeah. Let me go ahead. One second, Andrew. Okay. You should be connected now. Go ahead. Hi. Hi. My name is Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. I have to step out of line a little bit. Oh, Get your finger right over that button, Bill. And say, I I started with Mormon stories, um, but then I saw RFM's episode uh, where he did an interview, his first interview. Tell me more. Ever since then, I've been listening to RFM, Mormon discussions, and uh, Mormonism Live, and everything that you guys do. You guys are amazing. Uh, I love it all. I love the integrity that you bring to this area. especially when compared to apologists who like to take different positions depending on what's convenient. Um, Anyway, I was born and raised Mormon. I was born in 84. I actually stopped going in 2000 because I'm gay. And it's crazy because at that time, nobody talked about it. Um, But now, because of the policy of exclusion and everything that's happened since, it's very common for people in this space to talk about it. And I'm just so grateful to hear all the acceptance and love that you guys bring. And uh, I wish I would have had that when I was a member because I don't know, things would have been a lot different, Mm -hmm. but I actually didn't even know about all the bad history and, you know, all the stuff that I've learned listening to your show um, has really obviously changed my perspective. Um, I no longer believe in Mormonism or God, um, which I think is pretty common with people who leave the church. But anyway, I just wanted to say you guys are awesome. Uh, Some of my favorite episodes uh, from the very beginning, your analysis of the tits videos, when you had Kwaku on, um, some of the guest stars that you've had have been incredible. Sandra Tanner, uh, let's see, Spencer Wright, uh, David Bakavoy all just fantastic people. Uh, Maven, I love your episode with Peter Bleakley that mm-hmm. you did when you were talking about Michelle Stone. I've listened to that like 10 times. It's super long, but it's awesome. That's a lot and, of time. Uh, it reminds me of, it is, it reminds me of when Brian Hale told uh, Bill Real to take down his episode about uh, handshakes and flaming swords or drawn swords, um, which is just crazy. Like, you can't tell people to do that. It's just, I don't know. And and now he's trying to silence Michelle Stone, 
obviously his MO hasn't changed. Um, yeah, I guess no, I could go uh, on. Brian Hill's never met a counter argument he didn't you. want to suppress. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Thank you, Andrew, for Andrew, for thank calling. you so much. I'm so glad that you called and I'm so glad that you enjoy the show. Oh, and I love the new show that you guys are doing now, too. That's great work. And uh, definitely, and all the stuff about OUR and Tim Ballard, EPA, like the, this stuff needs yeah, to be we'll brought to light. It. And it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so <laughs> much, Andrew. <laughs> um, Merry Christmas to, to you, Andrew. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. <laughs> Whichever. Um, so, wait, I didn't know. Was this on Mormon Discussions, Bill, that uh, you were asked to take down an episode? I, I didn't know that yeah. this was a. It's okay. A, it's, yeah, it's a long story, but um, did handshakes and drawn swords presented that at Sunstone as well? Ran into oh, what's the uh, Van Hale? Um, yeah, at Sunstone, who also had issues with uh, my presentation. But when Brian Hales reached out, Brian Hales wrote a paper that was countering it. He sent me the draft of the paper. Said if you don't take it down. I'm going to go forward with my response. And I was like, all right. And he never did. But what I ended up doing was reading his response. And then I created handshakes and drawn swords part two. And I actually show that every one of his arguments is inferior and illogical. And there's a rational answer that's better than the presentation he was going to go forward with, which he never did. Um, I've got sort of a hate, hate relationship with Brian Hales. And I deeply don't appreciate how he pretends to be a truth teller, but at times is very intentionally deceptive. Um, and uh, I hope yeah. folks will check out those. Yeah, if people haven't seen what I did with Peter Bleak, and the reason why I did it, a part, of the, part of the reason on Peter's show is his whole thing is, his show is Mormon Civil War. It's about these kind of, um, I guess, um, oh, I'm losing the word, but I guess, you know, these, these conflicts within the faith. And so with Michelle Stone and Brian, they're both faithful members, but we see how these these conflicts come up. And um, this, I mean, we're rooting for Michelle 90% of the way through. And Brian, I didn't realize, I knew he was an apologist, so I knew that he does what apologists do, but I did not realize until I watched that and I did this um, reaction episode with Peter exactly how dishonest he is and how open he was about it. It's really astonishing. So anyway, thank you for the the call out for that, Andrew. And, and we'll we'll be talking more about uh, Michelle Stone in a little bit as well. So is yeah. it true that Brian Hales contacted you personally, Bill, and said, if you don't take down that episode, I will write a very, very strongly worded letter. <laughs> what should what movie is that from? I'm, I'm sorry, trying to do Hans Blix from Team America. Oh, I got you. The puppet show. A little I, to the left, a little to the right, a little bit. That's a funny, funny All show. Right. I love Hans, it. Hans, you're busting my balls. <laughs> um, all right. We had an episode. We talked about the fullness of the gospel versus an ongoing restoration. You mentioned this earlier. Um, so that was one. Mormons and muskets. You brought Jim Bennett on. And by the way, this I thought was a great episode because Jim promise forever go on a podcast with bill real again but him and i you put the two of us together and him and i worked out our differences and it was like frank sinatra bringing martin and lewis back together and i think he had maybe made the claim he would never come on a show with me again 
on Midnight Mormons, but it was them that he was sort of uh, bothered by and sort of didn't see them being intellectually honest on their shows anymore. And so he came on our show. Yes, that's what made it a challenge. I, I think the the biggest get from this show was I with this musket talk, how many members of the church were playing apologists and saying that this, you know, he didn't mean that. Um, it, this was not any kind of a call to violence when people were saying that 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 is what this is. And and that's what we got on Midnight Mormons was uh, their guest. Guatemala put it out there. Yeah. And called out this talk. Right yeah, exactly. Muskets. Yeah. Right. It was brilliant. They just they just sold the, the farm that way. Anyway, that was a great episode, a great moment. I'm glad he came on for that. Where they yeah. bought the farm, one or the other. Yeah. Um, I might be mixing up my metaphor. <laughs> we had uh, another. We gave away the farm. Right. Sorry. Go ahead. You're, no, you're... <laughs> so we had another episode where we used uh, Rick Bennett's material. And this was. Uh, <laughs> talking, talking about Thomas we made Bennett. it a practice after that uh, kerfuffle to use something from Rick Bennett in every show after that. If Rick has a good interview where there's a few good lines in it, we're going to use them. Um, that's my motto from here on out. Uh, Thomas and Rick have a really vibrant conversation where they acknowledge that the uh, King James Bible is probably one of the weakest Bible translations that exist. Hence, the church should be using something else, such as Thomas Wayman's version translation. And they said that rather than Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible being a restoration of, of its corrupt form back to its original, as all of us as Mormons had been taught for practically the entire church's history, they said it was really just a deeply flawed Bible commentary. And I thought those both mm. those points were huge. They were incredible um, and very germane to yeah. the discussion. Yeah. Uh, obscure Mormon artifacts. That was just a fun episode. We shared lots of little cool things, such as the uh, divining rod of Oliver Cowdery being made into a Brigham Young cane, for instance. The glasses that Hiram Smith wore. RFM, tell us about this one. This was the the two star review. O'Brien oh, Hales and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad book review, where uh, Brian Hales apparently, without reading Dan Vogel's new book, um, Charisma Under Pressure. It's hard for me to read it there. Uh, yeah, it's about Joseph Smith. He's writing a series of books about Joseph Smith's life, very in-depth, very scholarly, incredible treatments. But uh, Brian Hales was so miffed with Dan Vogel, apparently, that he wrote a book. He wrote a book review about a book he had not read. And uh, he admits it in the book review. So that's how we know he didn't actually read it. But he wanted to go out there and give it two stars because, damn it, it was getting too many five-star reviews. And he thought he would give it a two-star review just basically because he disagrees with Dan Vogel about the manner in which the Book of Mormon came forth, which is something that's not even discussed in this book because this is after the Book of Mormon came forth. But why let that get in the way of a good Jeremiah? Isn't it insane that you would put out a review of a book that you haven't read, number one, and then second, use that book review as a place to put your own perspective out in a way that the book never dealt with anyway. Yeah. One gets the idea that the review wasn't so much meant to be a review of the book as it was to be an opportunity for him to pontificate on his favorite gospel hobby horse. Yeah. What I find is anytime 
Brian is doing things. He's either doing what he did here, which is just something really dishonest and uh, inauthentic in terms of dealing with Vogel's book. And then the other thing that uh, Brian often does uh, is sort of when he's asked good logical questions, he will delete the questions. He'll move on. He won't answer them. He really only wants to deal with Mormonism on his own terms. He doesn't really want to handle. He has his own agenda. Yeah, he does. And he sort of what he did with Michelle, too. Like, I mean, her he was supposed to go on her podcast to defend his position that Joseph Smith practiced polygamy. And instead, he brought a presentation on why she's a a wolf in sheep's clothing and, and, uh, you know, leading people astray. Um, And why she should be excommunicated. Yeah. So I, I just I think, Brian, just it doesn't matter to him what the actual topic is at hand. Um, he wants to talk about what he wants to talk about. So uh, yeah. so he'll do that. Yeah. Uh, and you pointed this out, Maven, when when he says to Michelle something along the lines of, you know, it's OK to think what you want. But in the church, we just don't we don't we're not allowed to say these things. We don't say them. If you say them, you're going to be in trouble. He self admits that he has to censor himself on some level. And happily does so, right? Because he's a good, faithful, believing Mormon who wants to support the leadership. But he self-admits that um, that he holds back from really telling his audience what he really thinks about things because he is admitting that he self-censors himself, essentially. Some people think I should right. censor myself more often. so in that episode i mean not only did he admit to leaving out very important like key aspects of what i think would should be included in any kind of a history about polygamy if you want to be taken seriously or or viewed as a scholar on it uh but because he didn't like it so he left that out um but then he also oh shoot i just lost my train of thought oh no uh, back to what you were saying bill uh, and this was one of many hot takes from brian on the show was that yeah if 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 someone in the church is bad, or if, if there's a bad doctrine or or a bad leader um, that's harming people, you know what God would want us to do is do nothing and not correct that leader and just leave it up to God to take care of in His own time. He absolutely said that, um, and you're welcome to check it out if you don't believe me and check out the original with Michelle if you want to see everything he said. There was more than one take like that. I think there's no one on the planet who's listened to that more thoroughly than you. So I will take your word for it, Maven. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe Andrew. (laughs) Um, We did an episode called Does the Book of Mormon Refute Itself? And what we essentially said at the end was there's no way to ever actually come up with the conclusion that the church is true or not true. I mean, because the church and its apologists will always have a workaround for every single argument. Um, and so that was, I thought was an interesting episode is Mormonism true. How can you know? Same idea. How can you know? It's not true. You can't apologists and those who defend, you know, the leadership of the church and those who defend the church are always going to have a response that works around that. This was one RFM. I loved this episode, by the way, you had been talking for about a year, maybe that you had wanted to cover the Greek Psalter and it got towards about the time we did this where I'm like, man, you ought to do it. Like, this is such a moment in in Mormon history where you and I know kind of a a very surface level of what it was, but didn't really know the details. I'd always wanted to know this story. And so I really appreciate that we, that we did it, but that you did it and got around to covering something that you had had kind of on your to-do list for a long time. Yeah. Prior to this, I think my only familiarity with it was reading the rebuttal by Hugh Nibley in his book, The Myth Makers. 
I'm pretty yeah. sure that's where he talked about the Greek Psalter. So I did not get a fully developed treatment of the subject, I'm sure. Yeah. But one more instance of Joseph translating what turns out to not be translation at all. And not right. even theory. And as I recall, as I recall, the idea is that, you know, the, the evidence may be a bit squishy on this. And I can't remember. I don't have a photographic memory, believe me. But um and yet, and yet this whole reported incident by the Reverend Caswell fits in so well with all these other incidents that are even better documented that it makes it. Yeah. I go. Yeah. That probably happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like the Kinderhook plates, but Mosiah is getting salty in the comments in the live chat. Yeah. I thought that was clever. He's um, very clever. You want to take a couple calls before we, we jump Say into again. this one. Yeah, please. Let's do it. Oh, there was okay. my mission companion. Oh, Captain, yeah, we'll my have captain. Some, that's why I thought it might be a good place to, to bring yes, in a would. couple it of would. calls real quick. Please okay, um, so this one is Ted, I believe, so it's it might take a second to come up. Okay, Ted, you are on the air. Go ahead. Oh, I, I thought you were going to take somebody else before me, because I, anyway, um, yeah, so I'm caught up a little, a little off guard, but yeah, a little nervous. I called in a couple of weeks ago when you guys did that, um, is Mormonism true or false, and I that absolutely false. And I was watching a show the other day about, um, um, you know, like I said, don't you think that we would come up with some coins or like roads, like, you know, how the Romans built roads that are um, still around today. And, you know, they were sophisticated with carrying the, the uh, epic battles that the Book of Mormon talks about. And he was like, well, we have LIDAR and we found a couple of roads and stuff like that. And they said, Okay, so really a cat's calf doesn't make a road that I'm speaking of. And he, and, uh, he got after me because I said they had coins. And he said, well, they didn't have coins. They just had uh, the, what, weight and measures or whatever. And I said, um, I said, that's fine, but gold and silver doesn't disappear. So even if it's bits of gold, if you think that that road is real, then I would invest in a, um, a, um, a, a scanner like to to uh find the uh uh find these gold pieces but um yeah but anyway i just want to really thank you guys and um i lost my marriage pretty much because of um mormonism and uh you guys have been a rock there and um i had one story that uh this will end with a with one of my favorite Maven quotes, but uh, there was I, I just find it funny how um, how th they'll make up stories like polygamy, like why did Joseph Smith do polygamy, and it was because of this, because of that, and uh, there was a Star Trek episode where they landed on this primitive planet, and these uh, primitive people started like they saw them without the people from the ship knowing. And they um, um, they started to uh, mimic what they did, and it had nothing to do with what they were. And sometimes I feel like that's uh, that's what the Mormons do is these mental gymnastics to make this story true. And I said, as far as polygamy goes, Joseph Smith was a pig. The end. And mm -hmm. uh, Maven made a comment, and she said uh, made a comment about power. You know, Joseph Smith, uh, he wanted power also. 
and I, I just that took me back and uh after thinking about it and researching it yeah he i think he was a pig and wanted power but um anyways guys that's yeah all i had to contribute but i yeah. just want to say thank, thank you, oh, you for calling in i remember that star trek episode uh the best part was when the people started mimicking what they saw captain kirk doing with you and rand <laughs> thank I'm glad you you're laughing yes, thank that you. went over my head <laughs> Yeah, and I feel, I mean, we know Joseph wanted power. I almost wonder if, if I'd gotten it, if it wasn't really a, a, a Maven quote, but something I probably got from Lindsay Hansen Park about Joseph wanting power. So I probably did say it, but oh, she me. would be where I got it from, I think. So, yeah. Thank you, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Anyway, you're like a, you're like a little burst of sunshine, uh, Maven, whenever you come up. But now after that comment, and uh, uh, it's always nice to see you pop up and give your, your comment. But, Thank you. Um, anyways, RFM, I'll finish up with saying I like your shirt, but give a little bit more respect to DC. That's all I'll have to say. I will as soon as they I, produce a movie that's worth going to. And I don't think Aquaman's going to fit the bill. No, Just say sir. It. <laughs> I, I think I, I didn't know that you were a comic <laughs> Thanks, Dad. RFM, I didn't know that you were a comic book reader, but it's the books. you got to go to the books, not the movie. But anyways. Um, Anyways, I, I uh, love you guys' show, and uh, you guys have certainly helped me and, and countless more people through all this, but yeah. Thank you, Ted. Yeah. Thank you very much. And we have thank another caller. Right, I'll, I'll pull up real quick. Um, so this uh, this one doesn't have a name. So yeah, caller, make it real quick, and then we'll get on to the, uh, the next bit of drama, I guess. Has it a name? All right. Okay, you should be connected now. Um, and it's the only other caller in the queue. Are you there? Can you hear us? Is it me? Yep, it is you. <laughs> cool. <laughs> this is Dan. Dan Vogel. Oh, hi, Dan. Holy Toledo. Dan Vogel calling from Ohio. Caller, a viewer, and a guest. Yeah. <laughs> Did you bring like 100 slides? No, I just wanted to thank you guys. <laughs> but I, ahead, wanna, yeah, I wanted to say uh, that uh, you guys work really hard behind the scenes and because I've been able to see uh, firsthand what you guys do and how hard you work plus this isn't your only gig you got other side gigs to this one it's unbelievable I mean every to do this every week takes a lot a lot of time and a lot of hours and uh, that's why you got to switch back and forth. But uh, it's exhausting. Dan, thanks, can I, uh, I really you? appreciate uh, having this. Hmm? Yeah. Can I ask you a question? So um, you're a historian. You are one of the prominent historians in Mormonism. Um, you've done, you know, you've published numerous books. Cool. I've heard you say things behind the scenes. I, I, I just, I want to give you a second. It certainly is to sort of brag about maybe RFM or how we do history here, but maybe speak for a second as a historian who chooses almost on a weekly basis to tune into our show. Are we doing a good job of exploring history, for instance, uh, from your perspective? Please say yes. Please say yes. Of course you are. I mean, you're one of the uh, most well-informed, uh, you know, podcasts out there. 
and um, you make a, a huge effort to be uh, have integrity and to be uh, faithful to the sources and to get the story right. And to do it uh, in such a short amount of time uh, is really incredible sometimes. And then you 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 you're honest, and I feel because you're you're willing to correct us um, when there's something when you disagree with us or if there's something that we get wrong. I love seeing you in the chat when we're we're not sure about a detail, and and I know yeah. that that you'll have it. So um, I appreciate that, and I think I think I can speak for all of us that uh, we do want to be correct, and so we're happy to take correction, especially from somebody very knowledgeable like yourself. So thank you. Hey Dan, in all seriousness. It's ongoing, ongoing and trying to get the facts right and learning as you were going. And uh, but we have integrity to be able to change our point of view instead of stick to it and, uh, you know, become hardened in their, uh, in their like the apologists do. They get hardened in their uh, interpretation and they won't give them up. They'd rather, you know, fudge or lie or, you know, manipulate things and keep on hanging on to their positions, you know, forever. Right. So, Dan, so, in all seriousness, the copyright. <laughs> yeah. In all seriousness, I just want you to know that I consider it a high honor and a feather in the cap of this podcast that you participate with us, you come on the show, and that you are present watching and in the live chat pretty much every week. Thank you so much. Thank you. You bet. Thank, thanks for having me on all those times. I had fun. And I'm sure we'd be it's happy to have del- you on again. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dan. Copyright thing with Bennett. I wanted to say that uh, I don't understand his reaction at all. Uh, uh, he puts out so much. How could he be so proprietary on every little thing? And plus, he's getting free publicity. What, what the hell? What's wrong with you, Rick? And... If you recall, not too long ago, uh, Fair tried to take down one of my videos, and YouTube stuck up for me. They didn't do a thing. They didn't take it down or anything. They didn't even hesitate. And, and it was a, my uh, response to um, John Gee. John Gee. And then right after, yeah. So right at, and after they tried to stop that. Um, I put up one on Carrie Milstein on the Book of Abraham as well. Mm. And I will use whatever I want, <laughs> you know, because it's fair use and they, they need to get used to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Especially fair. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Fair, yes. Fair. fair needs to get used to I mean, fair use. use anything where, uh, that was that was a parallelism, by the way. Did you notice that fair needs to get used to fair use, which means that what I just said was true and God given. There you are. Brilliant. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go ahead and return you to the, to the queue. Thank you so much, Dan. All right. All so, right. Um, think, our, yeah, let's okay. say our, Tell us about this one. That's my 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 old missionary companion. Yeah, he was my first companion in Japanian. And uh, yeah, back in January of 1980, oh my gosh, and uh, Elder Kyle McKay, and we were companions together. He was my he was my training companion. He's senior, my first companion in the mission field, and 
He's just a great guy, wonderful guy, and uh, I appreciate him so much. But uh, uh, it's the whole situation about uh, a path what diverged in the wood. Yeah, and he took he took the one that led him on to becoming the church historian for now. And I'm still rooting for you, Kyle, to become an apostle. I want you to know it's just a matter of time. You missed it with Kieran, and I thought it was going to be you, but you know, don't lose hope. You will have your turn sooner rather than later. So he ends yeah. up going on to become the church historian and a general authority, 70. And uh, me, on my path that diverged in the wood, I ended up becoming Radio Free Mormon. Yeah. So what do you know? And and you ended up in this episode, we brought on a seminary teacher who uh, had this interaction with uh, Elder McKay. And I've got, I pulled a little soundbite from this uh, to kind of mm -hmm. highlight the seminary teacher's credibility versus Elder McKay. So if we can put the next one on. Yeah, so if if Joe had been inaccurate about the history as he was sharing it a couple nights earlier, hmm. would it make any sense for Kyle McKay to call on Joe to correct a historical question? No. He was so it only makes sense. Him. Yep, it only makes sense if Kyle McKay understood Joe to be telling the absolute complete truth and to be accurate in his telling of the history of the church. And not only that, that he knew more things at a deeper depth than Kyle himself understood. True. Good point. Hmm. I happen to have been aware, or I think I'm aware, because I'm going from memory, that this place in Texas that Lyman White ended up with was New Braunfels. And that's where the plaque is. Had it the plaque. And the Mormons came in there, and they were having a heck of a time. It was actually Frederick's. Something killing people. It was just actually uh, Fredericksburg. Just I goofed up my little tiny... Uh, Texas towns within a stone's throw of Austin. <laughs> um, such an interesting, you have this CES guy, Joe, who figures out that the church hasn't been honest on a million occasions. He presents all the evidence to Kyle McKay after Kyle McKay said that there's compelling reasons to doubt. And, uh, and then calls on Joe during a meeting in the following days when somebody in the audience had a gospel question and he says, I don't know that, but Joe might know the answer. Joe, do you know the answer? And to There's me, that idea. is so telling of the trust that Kyle McKay had in his head about Joe's superior knowledge of the church's history versus his own and his own trustworthiness that Joe was a truth teller. Yes. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. It also shows what a cool cat Kyle McKay is because that's a cool thing to do that was a good thing yeah yeah amen. love it and it was also from this show that i found out from joe that kyle mckay not only knows about radio free mormon but he also knows that i am his old mission companion yes yep that was awesome. if you're listening tonight uh kyle uh, i do appreciate you i have very fond memories of you and i want to wish you and yours a very merry christmas all right. Um, I have a clip from this show as well, uh, and this gets into more drama uh, being talked about. And so I, it's about five minutes, and I I left in. I mean, it's it's a bit cut. I chopped it up to to really just have the the main bits. But this is, um, yeah, this was from a, a caller. I think the name was Matt. I think that's cut out of the the clip. Uh, Matt called in and uh, and and kind of started a whole different train of of things that happened this year. So let's uh, let me go ahead and get that going. And I loved what, what Joe had to say in response to Matt as well. So I also left that in. 
new Braunfels and they came in there and they helped nope. out and That's saved some the... lives. So good on them and good on Lyman White. Sorry, that was the same clip. Yeah. <laughs> let me get let me get where where is it? Hold on. Well, I, okay, this is where I need you to riff, RFM. <laughs> it's me. Okay, I don't know what this is because Maven came up with this on her own, so we'll see what it is. I've got it. I've got it. All right, it just wasn't like pushing forward for me. So okay, here we go. Let's back to the slideshow, and there. What if the church history was so corrupted? Brigham rewrote everything with the help of Heber and everybody else. And there's quite a bit of evidence that there's so much of this rewritten history to fit the, the demo demonic narrative of Brigham Young. The yeah. only way you do that is by disregarding all of the women's testimonies. And it's the same kind of bullshit that's still happening today, this patriarchal bullshit, where multiple, multiple women can be accusing a, a man of impropriety over years and decades. And yet people like you will still say, well, but the man said he didn't do it. So, yeah. you know, ignore 10 women, ignore five, ignore 30, just just ignore the women because they're not reliable. Their voice doesn't matter. They're just doing what some other man told them to do because that's all that women can do, apparently. And let's just listen to the one guy that I really want to think is a good guy and I want to listen to. And and if he says, nope, I didn't do it, then, you know, case closed. Let me unmute myself. I'm just going to um, pause. I just want to say, I, I think I ended up kind of being a, a prophetess here, <laughs> and we'll get into this in the next, I guess, when it comes to current events and scandals, because this is basically what happened uh, or what was happening with Tim Ballard. And the, the people are saying the exact same thing about his victims that, you know, it's political. Why are they coming out now when it's it's not all been now? They've They've been trying, but due to his connections and the amount of power he had, both uh, you know religiously and politically, just like Joseph Smith did, he had a lot of power to be able to suppress and keep things down. And so, yeah, now now that it's all coming out, there's still a lot of people saying and believing uh, that the women, you know, that with Tim Ballard are being are just coming out because again, uh, Mitt Romney's telling them, or you know, somebody in in the government, somebody, some big they is telling them to lie about this thing. Um, in order to bring a good man down. But um, yeah, so I was a little spicy there. And we did have a little reconciliation moment towards the end. Matt was apologetic, um, but I, I did cut that part out. So I'll go ahead and, and press play for the rest of it. It's disgusting. I hate it. I hate it so much. And so with the folks who take the view that you do, you seem to dismiss and ignore the data that actually holds you to being wrong. Do you believe that Joseph Smith yeah, practiced uh, polygamy? I believe he did not. No. Okay, so we were correct in that. I, I believe the evidence, yeah, I believe that the evidence when Joseph was alive shows that he did not practice at all the evidence. As long as that evidence not. ignores women's voices. I'm just, I'm cutting over you because that's what you're doing to all of these women. I just, I just don't want to hear it. I'm so done with this. I, I don't want to hear it. It also ignores Oliver Cowdery's statement to his brother. It ignores the land deeds that we're talking about, Maven. There's plenty of evidence that, that comes outside of the things that you're able to dismiss. William forget Clinton Brigham Young. Journal. Forget the, yeah, forget the early edited. Yeah. Sorry. It goes nope. on and on. But I appreciate your calling in. I will say uh, a little bit tangentially to the polygamy thing, Matt.
that, yeah, we do have certainly evidence that Brigham Young uh, and company would rewrite church history in ways that favored their claims to apostolic succession. I went over that uh, a number of years ago. It's fascinating stuff. But we cannot allow ourselves to ignore the historical fact that Joseph Smith did the same thing. Joseph Smith rewrote his own history as well. So it's not like something that Brigham Young's the bad guy, the snidely whiplash with the long mustache, right? And twisting it and chuckling malevolently. And Joseph Smith is the angel of light and the pure guy who never did anything wrong. No, they both rewrote history in order to suit their needs. So just wanted to make that observation. Joe, did you have anything you wanted to throw in with? You know, the mind, the mind can go to a lot of places um, to find solace and, um, and, and each journey to their own. I mean, whatever it is, but I, I can see why anybody sees something in, in the church that they really like, and it just doesn't work with something else. And in order to make those two things fit, cognitive dissonance is just, you have to start making, you know, the gymnastics, whatever it is. My only, my only logical response would be if Joseph Smith was uh, a true prophet, um, as the, and the first vision is true, uh, and then it all went south like it did in 1844, um, then where, has, where was God in 1844? Where is he now? Um, he went to all the work to set up you know, an amazing, in your view, you know, organization, and then it, it just got, it got annihilated. Um, and maybe you've got responses to that, but regardless, uh, you know, I, uh, there's, there's 9 billion people on the earth today. Um, and I, I would, I would surmise that, that if your, um, if your version of truth is, is accurate and, and I'm not telling you that it's not, uh, it's God's messed up on uh, his ability to, to save his kids because there's not a lot out there that are aware of, of your view, um, that share your, view. right. Uh, and, and so, like I said, I'm not saying that you're necessarily wrong. I'm just saying, man, God's got to do a better job of getting his message to, to us. I'll tell you, Matt, yeah. here's what we'll do too. Um, next week's episode, we will present our best evidence that Joseph Smith was a polygamist. And Matt, I'll tell you this last thing, okay? I think that this whole yeah. discussion about polygamy and Joseph Smith not practicing it, I think that I'm somewhat familiar with it. I'm not an expert, okay? but I'm somewhat familiar with it. And I think that at bottom, it is a religious discussion that's masquerading. I should say it's a religious argument that's masquerading as a historical argument. It's not a historical argument. It's mm -hmm. religious. And history is being brought in to support one's religious beliefs. That's the way I see it. Yeah. But well, hey, Thanks for calling. Uh, thanks for watching, yeah, thank Matt. You. I appreciate it. Yeah, and, I love you uh, I'm hearing about thanks next week's show and the subject matter at the same time you are. Oh my gosh, I remember that's that's where I swallowed again. hard when Bill said, "Out of the blue." Okay, so well, we'll just be doing this next week. We'll just take on this massive complex yes. uh, complex of information. And you know and, something. And to give some background. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I think you guys are great.
Bill did I, it. I had brought this up before because I I wanted I was like you know this is a thing that's happening and uh, and you know what what you said at the end there it's it well actually you didn't say it there but you you said it to me privately it, it's a conspiracy theory and you're like there's nothing you can do when it's a, it, there's so many rabbit holes and like rabbit trails to follow after you know you didn't want to deal with it because you saw it this is a belief that's very motivated and so I knew because it, it had been you know shot down before. <laughs> I was watching your face during that and this kind of the smile that you give at the end that you're just like, great. I mean, it's it's Bill's turn and I'll do it. And you did like you you jumped in with both feet and I, I think you came up with a great thing. So um, I'm going to pull this up on the stage here now, just a couple of slides, because I did just want to go over briefly kind of what has been done in this area. So th there have been times where we've talked about it without specifically addressing this group of people that are are denying. And I, I see Rebecca's in the chat, actually, um, and uh, she's mentioning in here that this is definitely a growing movement. I'll go ahead and put her comment on here. It is it is absolutely growing and um, I'll have some things to say about that. But this was actually so this is technically over a year ago. This goes back to October of 2022. This was when um, you guys did the gold gifts, deeds and harsh measures. Uh, and so we, we talked about the, I guess, lockets or, or pocket watches that multiple of which Joseph was uh, seeming to give out to young ladies. At least that's uh, from the evidence that we have. And then the D, I think this is the first time, Bill, that you came out with the deeds and the the wife of Joseph um yeah of Joseph Smith that we I, I think has been or you know I, I'm sorry I'm messing up my words that you discovered that matched the initials that we have from Bennett um better than a different woman that that was thought to be her. Yeah Fawn Brody tried to take John C. Bennett's expose where John lists some of the plural wives of Joseph Smith, but in three instances Bennett only uses initials and no one knew what those initials exactly stood for. It, we, it wasn't clear. The rest of them where the initials are, it's very clear who those people are. And Fawn made an attempt, Fawn Brody made an attempt to figure out who one of them was. She had several data points wrong about that. And I don't remember specifically who it was, but um, when I did all of this and went into the land deeds, what I found was that if you took the land deeds in the 1840s in Nauvoo, when Joseph Smith's alive, very rarely is in most land deeds and other places in the, in the country in 1840 to 45, let's say, there is almost no single women who get land. But in Nauvoo, there is lots of single women. Now, most deeds aren't single women, but there are a significant number of deeds to single women. And what we find is there is a significant, statistically significant overlap between the single women who get deeds in Nauvoo in the 1840s and the women alleged to be the plural wives of Joseph Smith, including on several occasions, Helen Mar Kimball, uh, uh, one of the parts really of her age, mm -hmm. uh, Lucy Walker, uh, get land deeds. And these Flora Woodworth, by the way, who we went into in this episode, gets a land deed to have an underage girl. Getting a deed of land would be unheard of. And every one of them are plural wives of Joseph Smith. And so one of the women who got deeds, and I, I don't know if you have it is the next slide. Maybe if you don't, it's okay. But it, I think her first name was Sarah. But it was a female whose initials match. She's getting a deed. She's a single person getting a deed in Nauvoo. It matches everything. And so I'm, I'm not going to say like I'm 100% sure that, that it is one of the plural wives of Joseph Smith. 
But I can tell you that my evidence is much better and historically accurate than Fawn Brody's was. And hence, I have the better case for one of the additional wives of Joseph Smith that we are not sure of. I was amazed by all the research you did into this bill. I thought it was incredible and well presented. And another thing that I learned from this episode that I did not know before was that Joseph Smith was married to Melissa Gilbert and also Kara Burrell. <laughs> the yeah the the image looks very striking <laughs> and oh, i think you made that joke on that episode too <laughs> um the, the so this one's not actually directly to do with polygamy but we we kind of do run into this crowd so i've i've got next up is um this is mormonism live 116 and this is where we go into the movie um who really killed joseph smith or who killed joseph smith i think um right. and that was justin griffin um yep. I hope, yeah, I hope I'm getting the name correct. And and this was this was interesting. And you do he actually called in at the end of the show. I don't he have did. this clip. Yeah. And, did you want to talk was about also, that? After, if I could just just a brief bit of um preview. Um Justin, we talked on the phone, it was probably about a year ago in December, and he had declined uh my invitation to come on the show and talk about his movie. This was right at the time it was being released. I know he was very busy with many things. And I think it was being premiered at the Sundance, I think so. And uh, so we decided we were going to have this uh, this episode after his movie was released and we were going to talk about it. And it may have been a subsequent movie. I think it was. I think it was like a part two where they had uh, the uh, the forensic examiner come in and, and talk about uh, the evidence yeah. and his theories about what happened, which did not line up with what Justin's theories were. And at this point, um, we have Randy Bell on as a guest, but Justin called in. And so we talk about it, and it's at this point where I go ahead and I lay my theory on Justin. Right. Right. I remember that. And and you know what was interesting to me is I, I do think there's something to this. And I, I don't necessarily know that I would say that the church is specifically hiding any information uh, about Joseph's death, like it, it seems Justin and, and others— oh, believe that he did not have anything to do with polygamy. I, I think do think that there's a lot of, of course, a bunch of conspiracy. So it's it's all over the place. But I I do think that people can be unreliable, especially with narratives like this, especially if there's maybe some cowardice or some self-preservation that uh, at hand here. So I this episode really did make me curious that if the bodies of Joseph and Hiram um, were exhumed, if we would maybe have different information that might change how we think uh, this happened. That That's a fascinating idea to me. And I think there very much could be, I think it could be different than what we know. I just don't think it's as conspiracy laden as, as they did. But I guess yeah. I'm bringing this up yeah. just because this Justin Griffith, as far as I understand his third movie, as you know, as part of this uh, work he's doing, again, it is to kind of clear Joseph's name from this awful stain of polygamy. And that ultimately, when you get behind, like, who killed Joseph Smith, what the why is, is that, you know, polygamy is one of them and uh, and framing him for polygamy. So so I, I'm just bringing this just as a quick, I guess, run in with this uh, particular crowd, um, if that makes sense. And then I can go on to the next slide unless, uh, Bill, did you have anything you wanted to add on this one before we I move just, on? I only want to say, whether it's Justin Griffin, whether it's Michelle Stone, whether it's uh, Whitney, Horny. In, we are in agreement that polygamy is, the religious coercion oh. polygamy is atrocious 
And while we might disagree on where it originated or what was going on with the documents in terms of evidence, both sides agree that you can't justify what is claimed in the historical record to have occurred. Right. And looking at the effects, the long-term effects that still trickle down to this day um, of, of that start of the history. So, yeah. Okay. So that was, that was a little rewind. If oh, we don't have ahead. it, that's fine. There was a clip I had put in there uh, from that episode. Did you oh, see that? I don't. Is it on the, is it on a slide? I, I might be able know. to find it. I, yeah. Yes, it is. Because I did it. I did it. I I put a slide together. It had to be um, retrofitted by Maven to make it presentable, but I did put a slide together. So I just want everybody to know that. Well, you're I looking wonder, for it. I can yeah. at least that ahead, sort of the tone for this, this episode. So at the end of that conversation with that caller where RFM goes, Hey, do you believe that Joseph practiced polygamy? And they said, no, I, I don't. And I come in at the end of the episode and I'm like, Hey, you know what? The next week we're going to, we're going to tackle this subject. I've been wanting to for a while. I've been wanting to do that. I've been wanting to go. Cause I didn't know myself whether I could find enough documentation to demonstrate that Joseph Smith was in fact, a polygamist compared to whatever the other side argues. And when we did this episode, um, RFM tackled the Nauvoo expositor and uh, juxtaposing to, I think, to some degree, the uh, Nauvoo High Council affidavits and the uh, High Council city minutes was also another piece of evidence that we used. The land deeds was so much more in scope than I had given in that Flora Woodworth episode. There was so much more to it. And then Michelle pointed out a bunch of other women who got deeds, Michelle Stone. And I went and found those ones as well because they were in a separate historical document. So there was the land deeds themselves. And then there was an index of deeds. And sometimes the index said a deed was given, but the land deed itself didn't exist. So I didn't find it the first time around. And what I found when I took the names that she had was that not only were these like 35 deeds, was that half of them were alleged wives of Joseph Smith and about 70% of the other half were people connected to Nauvoo polygamy. And so in my mind, it just became overwhelming. And then RFM comes in and he connects the dots on the Nauvoo expositor and shows how the Nauvoo expositor, those folks speaking there, um, William Law and uh, his wife, and I can't remember who the other individual was, but that- Austin Cowles and Jane Law. Thank you. They clearly knew what was in that original document. And as you pointed out, RFM, it doesn't make much sense for Brigham to create a new section 132, a new polygamy document when the most atrocious things that are in that document are the things that the laws and cowls are testifying of in the Nauvoo expositor. Which on, yeah. in the group Hemlock, not someone made a meme about that and was saying, well, well, obviously Brigham Young copied those materials that were available, which one I don't know that those materials were available to him still in Utah. But also I just remember thinking, man, what a, a lucky 
son of a gun, Brigham Young is that you know out of out of anyone who's wanting to create a a prophecy or, or a revelation that happened uh, from someone who is now dead to have so many sources uh, saying exactly what you want to put in your own fake revelation um, out there to use, it's just pretty astounding, pretty dang lucky of Brigham Young to have uh, such a rich, uh, you know, a number of sources to pull from to write the thing that he wanted to write in the first place. Um, that's, I think that's quite an amazing coincidence, but it I do is, have the clip a, now. It's such an unlikely okay. scenario. It's a, a, incredibly, to use a Daniel Peterson phrase, is vanishingly unlikely <laughs> that anything remotely like that happened. And so this is an illustration of why it is that I say that only someone who has a religious belief that Joseph Smith didn't practice polygamy is going to believe that excuse or come up with it in the first place. And that's why I said this is not really a historical argument, which is how they want to portray it. It's really a religious argument masquerading as a historical discussion. Yeah, and, and the only thing I would say on top of that is when you take the affidavits from the uh, high council minutes, not the minutes themselves, but the people afterwards who said what happened there, and those people came from various walks of belief. Some of them had left the church somewhat and joined the Reorganites. Some of them uh, joined the Rignanites and then went off on their own. And everybody was consistent. And then the high council minutes, the city council minutes, I'm sorry, the city council minutes, and you hear what is written there about what Hiram and Joseph did. It's almost like it really is a shut case. Like you can't really, because every one of those documents testifies of each other and they're coming from different people from different belief perspectives. You can probably hear my puppy in the background kind of whining. Um, it, I just, I, I couldn't figure out any logical way to get out of all of that. It seemed like it was a mountain of evidence that testified of each other at every angle. That's because it is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I lied about having the clip earlier, but I do have it now. Um, so I'll go ahead and press play on that. Or the end of section 132. It has 66 verses once again. What it appears that she's referring to is verses 52 through 54. And yeah. can we get, Lindsay, could you read this? Verses 52 through 54. Sure. And let mine handmaid, Emma Smith, receive all those that have been given unto my servant Joseph and who are virtuous and pure before me. And those who are not pure and have said that they were pure shall be destroyed, saith the Lord God. For I am the Lord thy God, and ye shall obey my voice. And I give my I give unto my servant Joseph that he shall be made ruler over many things, for he hath been faithful over a few things, and from henceforth I will strengthen him. And I command mine handmaid Emma Smith to abide and cleave unto my servant Joseph and to none else. But if she will not abide this commandment, she shall be destroyed, saith the Lord. For I am the Lord thy God, and will destroy her if she abide not in my law. So if you go back to the Jane Law affidavit, brief though it is, and set forth that those women who would not allow their husbands to have more wives than one should be under condemnation before God. Okay? So how is it that Jane seems to know what's at the end of section 132, and her husband, who also says he read the same revelation, knows what's at the beginning and in the middle of section 132? if indeed they were not shown what is equivalent to section 132 in our doctrine and covenants today i just found another by the way jane law mentions that it's okay up to the number of 10 
And I just want to note that Doctrine and Covenants 132 verses 62 and 63 say the very thing that she just said, which is that it could be up to the number of 10 and that would be okay. There's no question in my mind that Jane Law and William Law saw a revelation that in material respects is identical to the one that we have in section 132. I got to say, RFM, I hope you write us on some paper on this or something. I think this is really, really strong evidence and, and something that I don't think people have talked about before. So I think it's a really good find. And back to what I said earlier, where there's this large argument that Joseph Smith was, because he was so famous and he, because he brought forth the truth, he was persecuted and lied about. And you guys are public figures. We know how this goes. People make stuff up about us sometimes. People lie. They say things. Um, I'm sure that happened to Joseph Smith, and it did sometimes, but by strangers who had never met him. These are Joseph Smith's closest friends over and over and over again, his closest associates who have this damning evidence. It's not just some rando reporter all the way in fancy schmancy New York writing these things. This, These are people who spent many, many hours with Joseph Smith in very intimate ways. So in case the audience hasn't figured it out yet, what I went back and I did was I just captured all the clips of people saying nice things about me to play tonight. But seriously, I'm glad we had to seriously, that was, I mean, I had done that in the same week you were working on the, um, the deeds when it got sprung on me, uh, with that conversation with Matt. And, uh, yeah, I, I just thought, well, this is something I'll look at and it ended up being fruitful. And so I did a partial, uh, thing here and then um rebecca by the way she'd been encouraging me to do something about this uh that's rebecca biblioteca if you don't know so uh and then um lindsay said that and so i thought well maybe i need to do something rebecca was nice enough to do slides and have me come on mormonish to do a more thorough presentation with slides which i then took down to sunstone over the summer and i did it at mormon stories so i've broken my own rule about not mentioning their name and then at sunstone so actually four presentations on this. And I understand that at some point, Michelle Stone is going to get around to answering this in something less than 12 hours. I, I just yeah. want to know if I put it up on the screen here, this is the work that you did, which shows that in the bottom uh, of each of those red boxes is where we get that information. And um, so in William Clayton's journal, he says something that can be shown to be essentially the equivalent of DNC 132 verse one. William Law's affidavit is the equivalent of 132 verse 15 out of the Nauvoo Expositor. Austin Cowell's affidavit from the Nauvoo Expositor is equivalent to section 132, 26 and 27, at least partially, and a large chunk of verse 39. And then Jane Law's affidavit uh, shows similarities to section 132 verse 54, 62 and 63, and these are the parts that were most abrasive in 132 and also the most abrasive to the laws and to Austin Cowles because it's why they wrote it in the Nauvoo Expositor to say, hey, I've seen the document. There's some rough stuff in here. Here's what we remember. And it's the roughest parts. It, it just doesn't make sense that Young is creating a new document, taking the harshest parts. Why not just take the original document to begin with? 
This was something else going back to the Brian Hales um, episode with Michelle. He gives, I think, four reasons for polygamy from this section. He even lists the verses, um, but he doesn't read them. So Peter does in our episode, um, because another thing Brian was trying to say was that it it, it was not mandatory and it wasn't harsh and people people don't have to be or, you know, won't be forced to the polygamy if they don't want to. And Michelle very rightfully brought up the very strong language in this section. And uh, I, it, this was just another point of his dishonesty was was listing these four reasons, listing um, verses, but not reading them specifically say that it, it was, you know, mandatory or, you know, the women who didn't live, it would be destroyed, et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah, so that that's where we get into, I'll go ahead and put this on the stage. This was uh, Michelle Stone's response. I saw someone asking, um, they said they've heard her name and they're wondering who she was. Um, that was in the chat, I think advisory was who had written that, I, I don't recall. But anyway, you're, you're gonna find out. So um, this is her podcast, it's 100, 132 Problems Revisiting Mormon Polygamy. And she did a response to our episode. And as far as I know, she's, She's still the only one who has done so. She's not the only podcaster out there, you know, with this theme. But I don't think Hemlock Knotts took it on. I don't think Rob Featheringham. Maybe he did. Um, but she was the first one, I think, for sure. So I want to give her props for that. Um, her response was very problematic. It didn't... Uh, really address many of the points that she went ahead and, and listed her own points first, which was kind of one of the things that RFM had said in our episode, like you really do have to uh, wrestle with these things. And it's kind of the typical apologist tactic that, um, I mean, when it comes to uh, things in the Book of Mormon, you know, you want to try to bring attention to the hits, but when it comes to anachronisms, anachronisms are stronger. So the few hits that you get cannot make up for the other evidence that's like overwhelmingly against it. And, and that's, I guess that's one of my biggest criticisms of her podcast. But anyway, Michelle reached out to Bill and um, also Whitney Horning ended up getting pulled in and so did Jeremy uh, Hoop. And there started to be a dialogue and attempt to get them on the show to I guess, give a rebuttal to these main points and also give their main points and, and have a back and forth. And uh, Bill was wanting it to be very structured, which might have been what, in the end, maybe ultimately uh, killed or was the reason why we were able to do what we were trying to do. But anyway, RFM did a response um, to that response. No, ma'am, that's not history. Um, which is a, a clever line and a reference to uh, Hugh Nibley's No, ma'am, that's not history, uh, his response to Fawn Brody. But the reason why, even though it kind of seems to put RFM in the uh, position of Hugh Nibley, which, you know, in the Fawn Brody case, Fawn was the historian, it was history, and Hugh Nibley had nothing but a pamphlet that he could, you know, write to refute her entire book. But the reason why I I think RFM, and you can, you can pontificate on this more, was that one of the things Michelle did in her response was make up stories to fill in the holes that some of our arguments brought up for her. And it, they just were completely made out of whole cloth. And that's that's the reason behind the uh, the title here. And I, I, for me, a really interesting phenomenon just to see how uh, someone's mind works this way uh, conspiratorially. And this leads into something else I did. Did I cover that well enough, RFM? Did you want to chime in or we can keep it going? I know we're kind of long on time. You did great. I just want to mention the one story, okay? I'm not going to recapitulate what I said there. Uh, but uh, when I was at uh, Sunstone this past summer, and I happened to run into Don Bradley, a historian of some repute within Mormon circles. And he left the church and now has come back to the church, but he still continues to this remarkable output of historical research and publications. 
And I was talking to him about the situation on going with Michelle Stone. And I was just introducing him by saying, well, you know, some historians think that Joseph Smith practiced polygamy. Some historians think that Joseph Smith didn't practice polygamy. And Don says, no, 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 wait, 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 stop, stop. And then he he just looks at me so earnestly in that Don Bradley way of his and says, I'm not aware of any historians that believe Joseph Smith did not practice polygamy. Yeah. It's something other than historians who hold that view. Yeah. Right. So that was all um, I wanted to say. Please continue, Maven. Right. I, I so I I'd want to say real quick, there's so many clips I could have pulled for, and I probably would have if I had time. But the the clip that I pulled from the end of the show with Kyle McKay and with, with Joe, um, I kind of feel like all of us ended up being <laughs> prophets because so much of what ended up happening. I, I really think that clip basically summarized you know what what was coming down the pipeline um and so yeah so let's i'll, I'll go ahead to the next one uh this was a really short response uh, to rfm's uh no ma'am that's not history and then she's going to go into it more uh this is an episode rfm did uh, as a follow-up the boy who kicked conspiracy theories and this was mostly just going through responses back and forth uh and, and commenters I, I thought it was a really entertaining episode just kind of see what people were saying on on both sides. Um, there was a misunderstanding though that that came out in this episode that really, I think, kind of inflamed the other side. So, um, and that's a long story. I don't know if I can summarize it really quick, but I do go into it later. So I'll, I'll tell you where you can get the whole background if you want, if you like the drama and you want that. So, um, so this really inflamed uh, Michelle and her supporters. And this is her next episode in response to that. Uh, the Truth versus RFM, Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. This time she was making a clever play on words of a, of a Bill's episode that ended up getting him excommunicated. Um, anyway, I just thought it was clever. And so, yeah, so I had a, a lot to say about her response, but you guys kind of didn't. You guys kind of were done at this point. There'd been multiple emails going back and forth and things had just really started to fall apart. So that's when she did this expose. But there was more. There were a few other attempts to to kind of recover it that that ultimately failed. Um, and so that's where I, I eventually just needed to to rant and, and get it out of my brain. And so, yeah, just uh, um, this is kind of a separate thing. It's on Mormon discussions. I don't have a channel or my own thing. But yeah, this is just like three parts that I did in response to and going over all of the emails. Just I just felt like um, RFM and Bill, you were kind of done dirty <laughs> by her. And, uh, and I don't know. I just wanted to, I guess, defend our side. And and I think there were certain ways that she was really viewing things. Um, and again, I don't think she did this on purpose, but extremely critical. Very, very conspiratorial. Yeah. And so, you, know, you and were involved the in the think, conspiracy. Whitney right, Horning had you as part of a conspiracy yes. out of thin air. If, if we go back to what Lindsay said uh, and how like the accusation is made um, by polygamy deniers that, that people were just making stuff up about Joseph um, because they didn't like so it's just stories. And I just thought maybe I, I don't know if this was a, a subliminal way of trying to prove their point by making up a story about me <laughs> to see, see how easy it is to lie about somebody. It was really, really fascinating. But anyway, if you are interested in the whole behind the scenes, um, I, I rant about it. And uh, if it's any. Um, encouragement rfm said that he thought it was very funny and very entertaining so um yeah yes and by the way so everybody knows this is a collector's item this is the first podcast of maven and hopefully we'll see more in the future wouldn't you like to see more in the future folks 
I want to go over this in more in the future. As as Rebecca's saying, this movement is really growing and I'm I'm seeing it more and more. And we even have someone in the comments. I'm not able to uh, watch as much, but there's already someone recommending uh, Rob Featheringham. So I, I don't know, maybe this is something for 2024 if you guys are interested in. I would like to look at other sources and do more of an in-depth uh, takedown of, of this kind of stuff. I, I find it fascinating. You know how interested like I am in pursuing this any further, don't you? <laughs> yep. Okay, I just yep. wanted to make sure you knew. Yeah, I am not RFF. I think this is this is really fun <laughs> and, and fascinating. And the contradictions, and I don't know the history as well. So a lot of this actually doesn't go into any of the history or the points that that anyone brought up. It was just the the communication and the um yeah, the the interactions and I guess what was kind of being shown by them about their way of thinking through their interactions. So it, it was it fascinating to me for that reason. I'm sorry, if anyone wants to respond to the argument that I made about the Nauvoo Expositor Affidavits, I'm happy to engage in that. Beyond that, no. And I'm not going to listen to nine hours, I kid you not, nine hours of podcasting in something that Michelle Stone says is answering it, and it's not even touched on in the first three hours. I'm not going to listen to nine hours to get an answer to something that should be a relatively simple question. So if you can just package it, you can take up to an hour, but more than that, I'm not going to listen to because I start to get the feeling that you're talking about stuff and uh, talking about a lot of stuff in order to avoid talking about the issue. Cause that's what I've heard so far. Ditto on the yeah. land. Yeah. And I want to say, um, Rebecca is actually working with Michelle from what I understand. Um, Michelle might be coming on her podcast to tell her story, which I think is worthwhile. And, um, which is why I do recommend the episode I did with Peter as well, because it really does show a different side of Michelle than, than what we got like through this whole discourse. Um, she does, she does have a lot of knowledge and she certainly trounces Brian Hills, I think in terms of sincerity and, and honesty, at least in, in, what she's trying to do. Um, I, I wouldn't give Brian either of those, but anyway, I do hope that she does come on and, and do that. And so, um, and I'm interested in hearing more of her story as well. So that's just, yeah, a, that's just a side note there. Hmm? Coming off as more awesome, coming off as more honest than Brian Hales may not be the highest accolade. It may, maybe not, but still like it's, she was still way better than him in so many ways. So I, I really recommend people to see that one. Uh, she held her own, I think quite well. And I wish we could have seen that, um, on our show. So I, I think with that, I, part of the reason why things got really, really busy for me, I would have liked to have dived into this even more and, and continue to, to research and dive in. But um, we started to have a whole bunch of, of scandals and um, newsworthy items. And again, like it's related kind of like how I said before, the exact same arguments that were being made about these women uh, or, you know, about Joseph Smith practicing polygamy and the women who testified that they were a part of this. Um, and, and maybe even if they were on board, their testimonies show some pretty clear coercion, I think, and abuse of power. The, this is, we get a modern day version um, in Tim Ballard. And so I will hand this over to you guys for the uh, Mormons Gone Wild. Yeah. What do you want to say about this episode, RFM? All that I wanted to do with this episode was show how uh, ostensibly faithful members of the church, such as uh, Kwaku, Brad, and Cardin, were losing their itche over this whole Tim Ballard situation because they were trying to make their faith in Tim Ballard match their faith in the church, and it wasn't working. It was just phenomenal to watch it happen in real time because they they went 
live. I don't know if it was live, but they podcasted the weekend after that Friday. I think it was September 15th. Remember the statement from the church saying, well, maybe this isn't a statement from the church. And maybe this is a rogue statement provider from the church. And all that kind of stuff. And just trying to wrestle with it in their minds. It was like watching a faith crisis in real time. Yeah. I wondered if they would get something. I, I just wanted to say real quick, this I th this really shows, I think, the kind of mindset that Mormon men can have when, when on one side you have the idea that maybe a man with a lot of influence and power has abused that power um, over women and maybe done things that he shouldn't have. I, I feel like that's not a really crazy out there idea, but to them it was so much, like they couldn't handle it, that they went all the way over to um the the church possibly being an apostasy or, or rogue uh you know like literally they were going for satan satan in vice news uh satan in the church pr department satan's got his rogue minions everywhere that was more realistic to them that satan's minions were like infil infiltrating the media and the church and everything everything else rather than the idea that maybe somebody who's presenting themselves as a good person maybe isn't that was what was so wild about this. Mm -hmm. what, what caught me was, and you guys sort of pointed to this, is they started off with a conclusion. The evidence comes in that runs deeply counter to their conclusion. And you could see belief persistence, confirmation bias, the backfire effect. You could watch it in real time as these three tried to come up with any possible way to maintain their conclusion without having to adjust it, even though the evidence coming in necessitated that they change their belief. And like always, we were in that moment, the truth tellers going, we don't have the full story yet either, but damn, this doesn't look good. I'm going to change my conclusion based on the new evidence. And I will continue to look to the evidence to decide what I believe. I feel like we were sympathetic to them. At least that's how I felt in my heart, regardless of what was coming out of my mouth, because we've been there. Yeah. We've been in that situation. We've been through that. And what it looked like to me, if I were to give it a metaphor, which is um, a little mouse between two cats, and they would run toward the, the mouse of the church is true and then get smacked upside the head because the facts were hitting them with it. And then they'd run over to, you know, Tim Ballard is true and a good guy. And then the facts would smack them up on the head on that. And then they'd run back to the church is true and smack back and forth because they never were able to land on one of them with complete certainty because the facts wouldn't allow it. Yeah. You could sense their anxiety. Like, how do I get back to what I want this to be? How do I get back to the belief I currently hold? It was, it was sort of a, I don't mean entertaining in like um, any way like degrading towards them. It was entertaining to sort of see all this religious psychology that we've been talking about for a decade playing out in essentially real time mm -hmm. as these three tried to figure out how to reconcile all of the data points. It was an abnormal psychology dissertation in podcast form. Yeah. Yeah. So for that it was great. And I mean, luckily they did come around to believing the women um, because a cart, I think Cardin has a direct link to a, a man who's close to the situation that Cardin could then believe and, and therefore indirectly start to believe the women and, and start to come around on this. But um, yeah, it had to be through someone 
Sean Ray. To a man that he trusted. Sean yeah, Ray. I mean, that was almost a fait accompli that they're going to have to, they have a choice. They're going to throw the church overboard or they have to throw Tim Ballard overboard. And obviously when it comes down to it, they're going to throw Tim overboard. Yeah. Sean Reyes did the same thing where he said, after I listened, well, actually he said the women, but it was after I listened to the women, I believed them. You, when you have so many women with a common story and so many other pieces of the puzzle that also contribute to that conclusion, you probably, you probably should start with the assumption that multiple women are telling the truth rather than the one guy you wish was. Um, there seems to be this thing where people just, don't want to take the mass group for truth tellers. They'd rather hold on to their hero. And as long as we're at the end of the year, and I just want to once again, make the moral of this story clear because what Tim Ballard in the story tells us is that Joseph Smith absolutely could have been everything that critics say he is because so often the response, it was my response. Nobody would, Joseph Smith wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that just to, you know, be with women. He wouldn't be doing this just in order to exercise his authority for unrighteous reasons. He wouldn't do it unless he were inspired by God and a prophet. Well, that's what everybody thought about Tim Ballard too. But now they're changing their tune. And if you change your tune on Tim Ballard, then you have to ask the question, should I change my tune on Joseph Smith? Yeah. Yep. Um my favorite thumbnail of 2023 was this one. You came, by the way, for the listeners, every week, you know, I take a week and RFM takes a week and we have the right to title our own episodes. And we will, with happiness, and there's been plenty of times where I've suggested a title to you, RFM, and you've taken it. You've suggested a title to me and I've taken it. We're very open to whatever is the best quality suggestion. You you wanted to call this episode the Ballard's Breaking Bad. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be fun if we figure out a way to tie in the, the TV show with the thumbnail? And uh, I put out kind of a draft one and you were like, I don't like this. I don't like that, but let's do this. And so we kept fixing it, sending it back and forth. And we settled on this one. This was my favorite thumbnail of 2023. It's it, such a, a interesting way to kind of capture the story that it was going on. Uh, by tying it into the movie Breaking Bad with uh, with the title. Um, any thoughts you had on this episode? I thought it was a great episode, too. I thought that was brilliant, and you were absolutely indispensable because I've never seen the show. Oh, I got you. Yeah. I had no idea what that that title thing you were doing was, but then I figured it must be sort of like what the TV show was, which I've never seen. So I thought it looked great. And I'm guessing these costumes that Tim and Melvin have on are yeah. yes. like the show? Yes. So the yellow jacket is Mr. White. He is the... A uh, chemist. He's a high school chemist who produces the highest quality drugs on the street. And uh, Jesse is uh, Tim Ballard. That's Jesse, his uh, kind of like thuggish, lackey. immature lackey sidekick, Flunky. who's constantly <laughs> screwing things up and giving Mr. White sort of a bad reputation at times. Uh, and Mr. White has to always keep him in line. And so it actually was very fitting in terms of character play as well. Oh. And down there at the far, far bottom left of the entire thumbnail. Yeah. That's the call Saul thing. The all bad things must come to an end, I think is probably bottom the left. last. Far bottom left. Are you, are you talking Me. about 
You and me. Oh, I'm sorry. Me. No. no. <laughs> I'll ben put a fine Paul. point on it for you. Paul. Me. <laughs> but I thought it was a great episode too, folks. The Ballard's Breaking Bad. Enough um, about me, Bill. Tell me what you think of me. I think you're awesome. I, oh, I thank you. you. By the way, <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever said this on the air, but I tell this to you in private phone calls all the time. I think I know a lot about Mormonism generally across all kinds of topics. And I think you, do. you are uh, significantly smarter than me at not only knowing Mormonism, but you also have this, you said you don't have photographic memory. I actually doubt that you, you have so much Shakespeare and movie lines and were sentences from books memorized and we don't practice. We don't script when you're going to use those. You hear something in the show. It reminds you of something you've read. You, you pull it out of your brain and you say it. And I simply want to say to the audience, uh, it is a pleasure and an honor to work with radio free Mormon. He is brilliant beyond measure. And I think say, the one, I think as me saying that, that I really feel I can hold my own in this space too. You are by far, uh, you are the magic sauce of Mormon podcasting as far as I'm concerned. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you very much, Bill. You're very kind. My favorite part of the show is when you hold your own. Okay, thanks. (laughs) I was going to say, I I feel so smart when I catch and I understand an RFM reference. It's like I I feel like I have been elevated and I'm on the same level as you. Um, It's like Captain America on the deck of the helicarrier. And I feel so yeah, dumb most of the ones I don't get. So <laughs> I got that reference. Yeah, I got that reference. Um, this was a great episode as well. Mormon whistleblower exposes new financial fraud allegations. Uh, this was really going into the SEC. Uh, all that came down with that decision, and we showed the documents. Uh, I can't remember the gentleman we had on to have Stephen Anderson. Stephen Anderson. No. Um, He's the professor. He used to be at the University of Illinois. He got fired from there and had to go to the University of Indiana. Yeah. I kid about the firing. Yeah, he no. transferred, I think, voluntarily. At least that's the story he told us. But he from had Illinois to Indiana. It's is it Stephen Anderson? Shoot, I'm so sorry. He's got those dreamy blue eyes. Yeah. Are we talking about our guest on the show? Yes. Spencer. Spencer Anderson. Yeah. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> Who was the older gentleman? I thought that I thought in this particular episode it was the older gentleman we had, and he was, was the younger one. Oh, maybe it was. Um, I think it was Ben. But we put all the documents on the screen. There's fewer older gentlemen in my world than in yours, Bill. Yeah, I would say comparable in age to you was one of the gentlemen we had in this discussion. Oh, about. the older the older gentleman is comparable in age to me. Okay, older, thank you. Older than me. I. That's all. You know. Um, Documents on the screen. We went in depth about the SEC. I remember the one line was something about the uh, church having some influence with the IRS to perhaps uh, keep this from really being a thorn in the church's side. But the SEC, of course, uh, came down with the decision. I, I thought, again, covering the news in a way that I thought was really important. And I think we laid out clearly by documenting the SEC's paperwork, showing how often in those lines the SEC got the church to admit because they had to both agree to the documentation, agree that they had committed deception at every twist and turn. So um, yeah, and this was a new development. This was in July when I was down there for uh, Sunstone. This is the one where I was broadcasting from John DeLynn's studio. 
Brian Hale's uh, dismantling Brian Hale's Book of Mormon defense. I don't remember this. What, what can you remind me what this one was? Where did all the words come from? Oh yeah. Okay. Enough yes. said. What are you uh, reading, my lord? Words, words, words. 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 <laughs> <laughs> now Maven and I were quoting I, uh, Shakespeare back and forth. The average sentence was 39 words, so that's how we can know it was true. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, thank you for the reminder. Uh, prophetic racism, we went through all of the race history of the church, the Nelson, uh, the Lowry Nelson uh, letters. Um, we, we spoke about several general authorities, Bruce R. McConkie, uh, Mark E. Peterson, and others who had uh, given teachings on, on racism, and you could just see how prevalent it was. And it really does force somebody to wrestle with how trustworthy are prophets if for a hundred and something years these men seem completely unable to discern the will of god across 15 leaders from generation to generation hmm. uh this was and, a fun one we had. that one i think it's we're seeing more and more members of the church try to disavow that the racism was ever coded and, and baked into doctrine and they try to just say it's just yeah like three theories of men uh, speaking as a man, it was never doctrine, um, but I, that's why I liked this one. We showed that it very, very, very clearly was on yeah, multiple every, yeah. by multiple people on multiple occasions. Yeah, every doctrine that became a policy was never a doctrine to begin with. Yeah, that argument doesn't get far with people my age because I lived it, Dottie. Yeah, yeah, tons of it. Um, and then this one was a fun one. We put a bunch of AI art images up of Jesus and uh, one of his brides. We went into detail showing what I think most Mormons who know the history well know, which is that the church claimed on numerous occasions that Jesus was married. But what was cool about this episode was some new information about some teachings on maybe a, a three to a half dozen occasions where church leaders intimated that not only was Jesus married, but they, the leadership, were the descendants of Jesus and his wife's children, and that's what gave them the power and authority to run the church. So that was kind of a, a cool little thing. Uh, biggest, by the way, this was our the sister wives, Cody Brown, exclusive interview. I told Which you, you got, that. by the way, Mr. Real. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks to a common friend of Cody and I's, Chris Bloxham, reached out and said, hey, you know, you, you probably ought to consider it. And I We've had that conversation before, but it was always when I was doing audio podcast and the show was in its earlier seasons. Now that we've got 18 seasons behind us and we have a video live show every week, it seemed like it was just so cool to do this. And I told you guys behind the scenes, I said, I really think this is going to get a ton of exposure. Uh, and it did. Uh, we've gotten 85,533 views, 42,000 hours of watch time and an additional 557 subscribers uh, from, from that episode. And then, and you know, getting, I've never met Cody. Maven, oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I, I just wanted, because I, I was missing, uh, and people I think in the chat were kind of wondering, like, is Maven even here? Like, what does she have to say? And I, I stayed in the background for that one, and I'm honestly really glad. And e even in the chat, I actually stayed out of it more than usual. The chat was really fast and wild so it was hard to even keep up a lot of the time and so for people who were curious uh there were absolutely things he said that i found quite infuriating but i was actually surprised at how many things he said that i really agreed with and while I, he definitely had a lot of uh, his haters in the audience saying that 
he doesn't mean any of the good things he said. And that may or may not be true. But I I was impressed with the level of, I, I think, honesty and clarity he was able to have about some of these really tough issues. Um, again, whether or not his life actually follows that, the fact that he could even see or say it in the first place um, is better than, I think, men that I know in my life. And this is a comment I think I made to you guys after the show was that I think he admitted things or said things that I, I don't think my own father has the ability to say or to point out about uh, sexism in the church and, you know, things like that. So just the fact that he has the capacity to see that enough to be able to verbalize it um, is still, uh, to me, an improvement uh, from, from some people that I know uh, who I would have hoped because of their relationship with me could have done better. So anyway, yeah, I, I definitely had a lot of mixed feelings uh, about it, but I, I, it was a good show. And it, and I, it shows, I think it shows just how badly this does not work. And so to hear him say that it is sexist and, and that it doesn't work. I, I think that was, I found that the most refreshing about this episode. Yeah. We, we publicized this prior to the show. We publicized this in several Reddit forums that dealt with sister wives. We publicized it on several Facebook pages that dealt with sister wives. I sort of knew we were going to have a large audience and most of those folks were going to be new viewers who were really frustrated with Cody. And I thought, I know people picked that episode apart saying we weren't hard enough, but I think if people go back and listen, I think we asked really good questions. And I think he admitted and stated a lot of things that the other side sort of would have applauded hearing to some degree as being supportive of their view of either polygamy or of Cody. And I think he said a lot more than maybe most people thought he would say uh, in an interview like this. And I, I was deeply pleased with how that turned out. Um, and I think it, again, I think it will go some time before we have an episode that has uh, as many views as that one. Uh, okay. So we were getting towards the end of the year. We did the life of Moroni. Um, I, I want to just play a little piece here. This was, this was my favorite part of the show other than what I, I'll say what I said at the end after this bit. Um, but Maven, you may have to put your version up to get the sound of the next slide. Um, We'll have some simian hijinks here. Yeah, this 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 was such a interesting story. Play it, play it now. Okay. Yeah, play it now. Okay. <laughs> so by command of the Lord, sometime after this, he was going through a piece of woods on a bypath when he discovered an old man dressed in ordinary gray apparel, sitting upon a log, having in his hand or nearby a small box. On approaching him, he asked him. What he had in his box because that's what you ask an old guy sitting by the side of the road with a box next to him what's in the box old man on approaching him he asked him what he had in his box to which the old man replied that he had a monkey <laughs> i'm sorry this is this is like one of the best stories for Mormon history ever. <laughs> He's got a monkey, or as Inspector Clouseau would say, a minky. So to which the old man replied that he had a monkey, and for five coppers, he might see it. Joseph Smith might be able to see his monkey. So Moroni, is that a monkey in your box, or are you just glad to see me? I'm sorry, what, you want to see my monkey in a box? <laughs> Oh my gosh! I hope fan trick of of eighteen, you know, thirty five. 
know, I'd like to see an old man's monkey. That's the first time, the first thing I think whenever I see an old man, I want to see his monkey. On approaching him, he asked, okay, I keep going back to that. Okay, he had a monkey. And for five coppers, Joseph might see it. That's a relatively inexpensive price to see a man's monkey. Joseph answered that he would not give a cent to see a monkey, for he had seen a hundred of them. Now, I just want to stop you here. I've seen as many curloms, <laughs> I've seen as many curloms and kumoms as Joseph Smith saw monkeys. Well, they they inhabit the jungles of Upper New York. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Joseph Smith hasn't seen a monkey. I don't I don't know where in Palmyra, New York, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> hundreds. I've of seen a hundred of them. <laughs> It's the Bandar log that inhabits the jungles of upstate New York. Apologists are going to correct me and shoot me a reference where Joseph Smith went to a zoo or something. I, and he saw hundred, hundred, hundreds of monkeys in the zoo. Okay, so Joseph answered he would not give a cent to see a monkey, for he had seen a hundred of them. He then asked the old man where he was going. These are the two questions you ask all old men. What's in your box and where are you going? Where are you going? In that order. Um, where he's going, he said he was going to Charzee, C H A R Z E E. Charzee, E E. E E E. I have got no idea where Charzee is. And, and neither did Joseph Smith. Joseph then passed on and not recollecting any such place in that part of the country named Charzee. <laughs> began to ponder over the strange interview and finally asked the Lord the meaning of it. The Lord told him that the man he saw was Moroni with the plates, and if he had given him the five freaking coppers, he might have got his plates again. Joseph Smith almost, almost got him, almost That's where I say, missed it by that much. <laughs> the old monkey in the box trick. Any... That's the second time I've fallen for it this month. <laughs> and then, and then on top of that, you I learned something new about you, which was that when you were younger, oh, yeah, you yeah. had a pet monkey in in your your mom and dad had a pet monkey, you your pet monkey, and you talked about how it misbehaved all the time and i was just curious if you disciplined it if you ever spanked your monkey like and uh, no that monkey had teeth in the other end <laughs> so my monkey so, has teeth in the other end Bill. <laughs> i wanted to bring up a comment here from rebecca she really liked this episode and she says it helped her understand the oath better absolutely yeah. it needed yeah, that the monkey in the box scene was uh, left on the cutting room floor. It didn't make the final cut, unfortunately, in the new movie. It might have actually saved the movie. Yeah. You know, instead of having like one half star, it might have had three quarters of a star. But that monkey in the box, a.k.a. Judy the Chimp from Doctari, could have saved Moroni from those Lamanites. And that would have been awesome. Just scrambling up into a tree and starting throwing coconuts at the heads of the Lamanites pursuing Moroni. Yeah. And the episode um, comes full circle now back to Judy the Chimp. That's where we started. Yeah. The course of RFM <laughs> is one eternal really? round. I just want to note, Rebecca said, you can confirm this RFM, at the very end of the film, 
we mm-hmm. talked about the documentation that there was an explanation of how Moroni died. He fights, he gets in a battle with six Native Americans, and the fourth one, he fights one one at a time, and the fourth of the six kills him. And at the end of the oath, Moroni faces uh, some Native Americans or Lamanites, and he gets killed. Not the yeah. one, he takes a, he takes a bunch of them out uh, first. Yeah. He's quite uh, he's quite adept with his steel sword. Does he get killed by the fourth one? Well, he kind of gets. It's kind of like Boromir, you know, at the end of the first Lord of the Rings movies, where he's fighting the Urukai, trying to save Merry and Pippin, which he does manage to save. Of course, they get kidnapped, but you know the story. But anyway, it's like he just keeps taking these these body shots. It's not the arrows, right? That Boromir, because he was a human pincushion at the end of the movie, but instead he gets you know like cut here and like a big blow once again here and he's slowly getting beaten by degrees until um king iron played by billy zane and what may end up being his the last role of his career (laughs) (laughs) okay now you got me doing this again um but yeah so uh anyway yeah so he gets um he kills up he kills several lamanites ultimately he is overcome and he dies of his wounds. So Rebecca's right. Watching our episode would help you understand more context about the movie The Oath if you wanted to see it. It just it either needed a monkey in the box or like a couple of zombie Lamanites after Moroni. And somebody's pointing out, yeah. by the way, Mark Pugsley was the gentleman we had on one of those episodes about the SEC. Mm. thank you so much biggie smalls for remembering is that the older gentleman to whom you were referring mr real that's the person okay yeah i just want to put up i put it up earlier but i want to put up marzipan's comment she wants a t-shirt with moroni with a box on his junk going you want to see my monkey so someone i we've got some artists in the chat i'd say send that to exmo shirts who is also like you can also get our merch from so um yeah we'll just go ahead and plug expo shirts right there um maybe we can see this uh on a future one we should be a popcorn box yeah (laughs) we should ask him how many pre-ordered shirts we would need to get for him to make kind of a custom shirt like that and uh that would be cool but uh, it's amazing what five coppers can get you indeed pop goes the monkey <laughs> that'll be the price of the shirt <laughs> um that is everything from the slideshow i believe well thank goodness because we're just getting started at two and a half hours in yeah we're a little a little long in the tooth here so uh anything else from you guys anything else uh, that you want to cover or say about 2023 it's been a hell of a year and i'm glad to have spent it with both of you yeah um i appreciate we have an upcoming guys. event Oh yeah, when you, yeah, I don't want to forget. Uh, yeah, let me um if you'll give me 2 seconds here, I will throw uh not throw up, but I will place up on the screen. Man, You're getting my, better. This was yeah, yeah. this was RFM. The continual idea. mocking has is showing benefits. RFM, I'm going to put this on the screen and let you talk about uh this yes. here. Okay, so what's going to happen is this uh Christmas Eve, we're going to be having a Mormonism live Christmas special. It's going to be live. It's going to be me. It's going to be Bill. It's going to be Maven. It's going to be Christmas Eve. This is not pre-recorded. And we're going to have some special guests coming on the show. This will be like one of those TV specials that we used to see around Christmas time back in the 60s and 70s. I don't know if they do them anymore. Um, They probably don't do them the way they used to. You can see some of those on YouTube. And 
I can see why they don't do them the way they used to because those are pretty painful. But anyway, it's the same kind of format. Um, and frankly, it's because uh, I have had the experience on a couple of occasions, one not that long ago, where I was suddenly and unexpectedly alone on Christmas Eve. And, um, and it ended up being longer and longer and longer. And for me, Christmas Eve is the best part of the the entire year. That's where the magic resides is in Christmas Eve for me. And it's an hour. It's two hours. I'm all alone. And I'm just going, WTF? But <laughs> regardless of that, I was really feeling kind of like very alone in a house out in the middle of nowhere with nobody else around. There was family in town, but not in the house. And I turned on the radio and I located a presentation that was going on live in Seattle of a radio play version of It's a Wonderful Life. And it didn't make everything okay. But it did make me feel better, a little better, and somewhat connected with real people to be able to sit there, stand there in my kitchen, and listen to real people on the real radio actually talking about Christmas stuff. And I felt like I wasn't so completely alone. Okay, so having said all of that, we're going to have this. And you don't have to be alone on Christmas Eve. I know that there are many people who are alone on Christmas Eve, even among our listenership. I know that there are people among our listenership who are spending the first Christmas without a loved one who may have passed this past year. And all we want to do is have an hour, maybe an hour and a half tops, just talking, sharing brief stories about Christmas, doing it live. And that's the important part is doing it live. So if you want, you can tune in and spend part of your Christmas Eve with us and we can spend part of our Christmas Eve with you. And I think it will be an all around blessed event. Love it. Love it. Um, I, I've had many disappointing um, Christmases by myself as well. And I, I would love to hang out with everyone for, for something like this. This sounds really perfect. So, yeah, yep. looking forward to it. Let me close out. Uh, any final thoughts from the two of you? I'm just going to say this now, and I'm, I'm going to say it on the show as well, the Christmas Eve show. I just want everybody to know that I was sitting there. I've had this idea for several weeks, and I finally decided to move on it last night because not a minute too soon. That's my motto. And I was honestly thinking I would just do it by myself because it's Christmas Eve. Everybody's got plans and you know, I've got some plans too, but I can postpone them because I think this is important enough. And, but I was thinking, man, it would really be helpful to have somebody who knows what the heck they're doing. <laughs> like, I don't know, Bill or Maven. And I obviously, I didn't want to just go forward with it on my own and not include them because that would be wrong. So I texted them both last night and, um, okay. Anyway, within two minutes, both of them had responded saying, absolutely. We'd love to be there. And I had this very strong spiritual sense that what was happening was conflating time, Christmas present with Christmas past. And all of a sudden that Christmas passed when I was alone on Christmas Eve, I felt like now I wasn't so alone because of the way that Bill and Maven responded. And I wanted to appreciate that about you publicly because it's very touching to me, very moving to me. Thank you both. You're welcome. My friend. 
Um, any thoughts? And thanks to our audience and your support. Yes, very much so. And then I reached yeah. out to people to come on the show. I reached out to, there's Jerry Lewis, there's Dean Martin, there's Frank Sinatra, you know, there's Joey Bishop. There's all these people I reached out to to come on the show. Uh, Susan Antone. Uh, anyway, <laughs> all these people have responded overwhelmingly. And that was today. And we're just going to have a full house on Christmas Eve of all these people that you know, you'll probably know most of them. If not, You'll want to know them, want to hear what they have to say. I want to hear what they have to say. It's going to be a real rocking new, not New Year's Eve, excuse me, pardon to Dick Clark. It's going to be a rocking Christmas Eve, and I hope you'll be able to join us. It'll be at 5 o'clock Pacific time. So let's just go off mountain time. It's going to be live, so you got to figure out your time zone. 6 o'clock p.m. sharp is when we're going to start mountain time Christmas Eve. And we pick that time, so it'll be five Pacific, and then five, six, seven, eight as you go across the United States. The people in England and Australia will have to fend for yourselves. I'm sorry. But whatever the time zone is, please join us live if you can. And if you have family over and friends over and you're doing stuff and you just want to have us on in the background, that's fine too. Love it. Maven, any final thoughts from you? That's it. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, everybody. So, folks, to close out the show, I just want to share a couple of thoughts. 2023, I thought, like 2022 and 2021, was a great year for Mormonism Live. And I want to start off by saying, Maven, at uh, RFM and I, we went to Thrive for the first time. And you came up and you said, I'd like to help you. I know you're having trouble being able to focus on the show. And uh, I just want to offer my my you know, my chance to help this out. And we brought you on board and I just want to express to you that I am just deeply grateful for what you bring to the show. You are often behind the scenes and you often have to deal with, people don't know this, but I'll, I'll reach out for instance and say, I really want the show to look like this, this time. And sometimes those can be little knockdowns for people to have to take like instruction of being told what this show needs to look like versus the last one. And You've always handled all that with grace. And I think you do a marvelous job at uh, being part of this show, but specifically behind the scenes, like you're brilliant. RFM, RFM and I say this all the time. You offer points of view that neither of us would have thought to say. And we both go, wasn't it great that Maven jumped in and said this thing that we weren't even thinking, but it added such a, a cool dynamic to the show. But you do so much behind the scenes um, to help the show run smoothly. I just want to say thank you. Um, RFM, you came on board, you said, seven years ago. You, and I, I had interviewed you. I won't go into that because it's part of the mystique of this whole thing. But I interviewed you, and we just I, I just hit it off with you. And you said, yeah, I always want to do a podcast. So we, I helped you get started. And we've had this relationship where you've done Mormonism live. Or no, I'm sorry, you did Radio Free Mormon. And so successful at it, like immediately from, from you hit the ground running because of your platform, but go ahead with the compliments, please. Yeah, in a way that I'd never seen another podcaster, like, boom, like immediately everybody likes this guy and they want to listen to the content he's creating and they appreciate what he's doing. And you did your show and you come under this umbrella that I'm the founder president of this organization. And, and you just, you're hit it out of the park. And then we decide to give the audience a chance to see us work together. Specifically, I think we were talking about like, hey, the way we talk about 
the history of Mormonism to be able to put it in front of an audience. There's this weird dynamic. People don't understand this. I'm the president of an entity that you are a subcontractor for. And we are equal partners in a show in that entity. And the dynamic of that could be so difficult and abrasive to try to make that work. And I feel like you are one of my best friends. And people don't get this, but you will. You you call and to talk, and we talk about every episode. And I'm not really a phone guy, but you are. And you'll call and we talk out like, what is it we want to do? What are you going to do this week? What am I going to do this week? And we bounce ideas off each other and we make sure we're sort of on the same page, but it doesn't take forever. I bet we spend two hours a week talking to each other about what we're going to do. And then we go off and we do the research and, and we put it all together. You are, it is so fun in this space of Mormonism to be in this space where we have influence and we we've read a, we've read a few good books. I I sort of went to a good school. I dropped out. You you completed so you went to a good school. But to have conversations with you each week and to be a part of this space where we make such a difference. I th- I think because we get that feedback and I feel like that's true that we have such influence on helping people to have enough information to figure out the truth of it. And to make their own decisions when everyone else seems to be trying to deceive them and get them to end up where they want them to be. And I just want to say that the C7 years have been magical to me. And I deeply appreciate my friendship and working relationship with you. And I think you're amazing. Lastly, to the folks who listen to our audio content over seven to 10 years, the folks who follow our live video shows now, I, I, to go back to that first call we took to be in the show, I am deeply interested in shining a light on the truth of documents and history. RFM feels the same way. Give people the truth. Let them make their own decisions. I don't need people to leave. I need people to have access to all the information so they can make the best decisions for themselves. And I just want to say for an audience that we on one end have built on the show, but on the other end, folks have listened and followed and subscribed and donate uh, for the couple that donated uh, $15,000 to improve our equipment. We have another donor who gives thousands and thousands of dollars a year to help keep this uh, show going. They are a big part of the donations we bring in. And there are so many of you who give five or 10 bucks a month. I just want to say thank you to everybody who supports the show in any way or finds value in it in any way. It is absolutely our pleasure, our absolute pleasure to every week sit in front of you and sometimes multiple times a week to give you Mormonism laid out in its honest to God truth. And I, I'm thankful for everything that we've been able to accomplish and for the folks who follow. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for everybody involved in this project. Have a great night, everyone.